Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Other half of the podcast here, Kevin Valentin. I know you're looking at this handsome gentleman over here wondering who this is. Um, this is going to be our first live interactive guest on the Neighborhood Podcast. This is my friend, AJ Morales. He has been on the podcast when I was doing my individual, uh, you know, uh, 1046 and 1 podcast, but AJ has been a frequent follower, one of my best friends. So, AJ, welcome to the cast, bro. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kyle, for having me as well. Uh, it's an honor to be the first live guest. So I'm excited. I know. It, it, dude, you beat me and Kevin actually having a live episode together. And we've been doing this for how long, Kevin? Like nine months? Damn near Something nine like months? That. And we've had <laughs> frequent guests on each other's individual podcasts. But, you know, you know, we'll eventually get to that point. But, you know, there's always going to be a first, Kevin. So with AJ, it, it, bro, it works out just fine with me. Uh, you boys ready to hit the topics? Hell yeah. Crazy ass Sunday. Shit. Bro, like if there's only one way that I could put week nine in the NFL, it was outright chaos. Like just basically like the whole like league is in shambles based just off of what took place this past Sunday. Just it was upset Sunday as far as I'm concerned from beginning to end. So we'll go over a couple of the games Um, in our feature topics. We are going to go over the Bills and Jags game and the Jaguars came up with one of the most stunning upsets of the entire year. It's probably the upset of the year so far, uh, beating the Bills by the score of 9-6. to six. I mean, for God's sakes, it's like a baseball score. And then after that, we will transition into the Broncos putting an absolute beatdown on the Dallas Cowboys. At one point, the Broncos were up 30 to nothing against Dallas, and Dallas is one of the best teams in the NFC. And the Broncos did win that game by two touchdowns. After that, we'll talk about the Browns and the Bengals game. Cleveland just put an absolute ass beating on Cincinnati in that AFC North battle. That was a game that Kevin and I expected the Browns to win or the Browns to lose handily. And the opposite happened on that one. And um, to round out our featured topics, uh, we're going to go over the Cardinals 49ers game. We're going to go over that game simply because Arizona's personnel was dealing with a bunch of injury issues going into that game, but they were still able to get the win and improve to eight and one on the season. And then after that, we'll do our honorable mentions. So I'll pick a game that was worthy of a mention. Kevin will pick one, and AJ will pick one to round out our honorable mentions. Um, currently, the Rams and Titans game is ongoing right now. So we're going to provide kind of updates as we go. You know, granted, this is, you know, coming out Monday morning, but still, like, 
you know, I think it's always kind of fun to have like live reactions as the game's going on. And I, th- I think it's kind of cool that you guys get to hear it. And then we're going to round out the episode with the Monday night matchup that is going to fe- feature the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Chicago Bears. That's pretty much what, whatever that game is going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like for ESPN started out with some good Monday night football games to start out the year, but it's kind of tapered off since then. So there's not much you can do about it, but not necessarily the most exciting Monday night matchup. You feel me? Yeah. I mean, you ain't lying. I mean, for God's sakes, the Sunday night game tonight, guys, has not started at all the way we expected. I mean, for for God's sakes, Matthew Stafford back-to-back plays has thrown two interceptions, and the score is currently 14-3 to in favor of the Titans. And it's literally in the second quarter. So L.A. does not look good. The Titans' defense is swarming. And for whatever reason, L.A.'s defense cannot stop Tennessee's game, even without Derrick Henry. And the Titans are on third and goal right now, so it could be Ooh. 21-3 here in a second. At least oh, my God. Oh, no, this isn't college. It doesn't count. <laughs> oh, what a catch by A.J. Brown in the corner of the end zone, one foot down. <sighs> but with that said, that's our episode for you guys today. So we are going to start with the Jaguars coming up with probably the most stunning upset of the entire year, beating the Bills by the score of 9-6. to six. There wasn't really much offense to speak of in this game because it was all field goals in this game, but the Jags were able to get one more field goal than the Bills. I mean, the Jags probably had one of the best defensive performances against Buffalo the entire year, limiting Josh Allen and that offense to only six points. And there were multiple drives that the Bills were getting yards, but just penalties, mental mistakes, missing blocks, all kind of contributed to... The Bills just not being able to get any sort of offensive consistency from beginning to end in this game. So, AJ, I'm going to kick the question to you to start this one off. With the Jaguars beating the Bills in this Week 9 matchup, just how stunning of an upset was this for the Jaguars? Man, like you said, it was the upset of the season uh, up to this point. Uh, And I don't know if we'll get a bigger upset um, throughout the rest of the year. Uh, but man, Josh Allen had himself a game. Okay. Now I'm not talking about quarterback. You got, you got jokes. You got jokes. (laughs) Hey, I'm just following up with the announcers of the game. They reminded (laughs) us time and time again that Josh Allen sacking Josh Allen was one for the history books. Apparently nobody else in the NFL with the same name has ever sacked another person with the same name. Uh, but it was a historic day because not only did he get a sack, he also got a pick. And he recovered a fumble all from Josh Allen. <laughs> so, but uh, all in all, man, it's, it, was, it was a shocker. Um, I don't know. that The Bills are supposed to be the favorite or one of the favorites in the AFC. And after performance like this, like this is a game they're supposed to win. And great teams win games they're supposed to win. Um, they're, they're in a stretch here where they have some easy games. Uh, they just played Miami last week. Today was supposed to be an easy one against Jacksonville. And then they're uh, playing the Jets next week. So this was supposed to be a, a comfortable little stretch for them where uh, they win comfortably. But it's just it did not work out for them today. Uh, that, that Jaguars defense came to play. Uh, and Josh Allen did not look good. The quarterback, Josh Allen, did not look good. He threw for 264, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. So that's not really a stat line we're used to from Josh Allen. Um, But they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and figure some things out. Uh, Luckily, like I said, they play the Jets next week. So 
that should be an easy one, but that's what we were saying this week. You can't say that because Mike White, <laughs> the GOAT of GOATs, is coming in to that Buffalo game, and he smelled blood in the water, okay? You're going to watch. You're going to see. So does I'm curious uh, to hear from you guys. Does this uh, kind of stifle your confidence in the Bills as a playoff contender or as a championship contender, a Super Bowl contender? Yeah, you go ahead. I mean, honestly, I'm not really going to say all of that. I mean, everybody's entitled to a bad game, and I mean everybody. The Chiefs have had atrocious games this year. For whatever reason, they're still a game back in the AFC West. I mean, the Cardinals had their mishap, and they had their one loss, but they should have had a bad loss today too, but we'll get into that game a little bit later. But I'm not going to sit here and panic. I mean, everybody's doing for a really good game. I mean, Jackson pretty much dog shit for the last, I don't know, three years since their AFC Championship run against the Patriots. They were doing for a really good game, so I'm not going to sit here and say that they didn't play well. And I don't necessarily know if Buffalo kind of tried to play down or didn't really kind of under – they didn't really uh, prepare for Jacksonville playing as aggressive as they did. The defense was swarming. The offense was able to at least move the ball forward to get them in the field goal range. As Kyle and AJ already stated, it was literally just field goals, nine total points. So the offense didn't have to do much. It was a defensive heavyweight game. Big punches were thrown, and, you know – Jacksonville just came out on top. Buffalo just gets a big reality call to say, listen, you can't play down to these teams. At the end of the day, it is an NFL roster. Whether or not the team sucks, these athletes can have big performances. Josh Allen having the game that he had on Jacksonville's defensive side of the ball was one for the history books in and of itself because you got an interception, you got a strip sack fumble, and you obviously got the recovery. So, I mean, as a defensive player, that's the trifecta. That's the triple crown. So, you know, him coming out of the NFL draft is pick number seven or eight out of Kentucky. Again, a lot of people didn't really see much of that going anywhere when Jacksonville traded away a lot of their defensive prowess and stars over the last couple of years. But he came to play, and I think that that shows the integrity of the Jaguars. But again, like AJ said, it's back to the drawing board. Josh Allen has a very big problem where he tries to solve a lot of his issues with his legs. And that's just not necessarily the case in a lot of these situations. You can't always run out of it. You got to learn to throw the ball away. I mean, and for God's sakes, protect the damn football. Two interceptions and a fumble. It's just, you're not going to win games like this. I mean, heaven forbid this was against a competent offensive team. You're losing by 20, 30 plus. So I think this was a good wake-up call for them. They're still leading in the AFC East. Not by a lot, obviously, as Kyle's going to get into a little bit later in the Patriot game. But they still have an MVP candidate in Josh Allen. They still have a very proficient offense and one of the league's best defenses. So we will see what happens go forward. But, you know, this is definitely a shocker. I mean, to start off, upset Sunday, shit. I don't think the world saw this coming. I'll be honest with you. Granted, I'm not a Buffalo Bills fan, but, you know, I'm a Patriot fan. And the Patriots play the Bills twice a year, every year. And Buffalo is always one of those teams that they're always tough to play against. And with the recent success that they've had, they're a really good football team. I mean, so good to the point that they made it to the AFC Championship game last year against the Chiefs. So when I look at this matchup against Jacksonville, you know, I'm with AJ 100%. This should have been a cakewalk of a game. Jacksonville, I think this is their third win in a season and a half. This is not a good football team by any stretch of the imagination. I don't even know what the, the, the line was for this game. But I imagine that Buffalo was probably was, at least a seventeen, like a seven to ten point favor going into it, this game. It was a fourteen and a half. <laughs> so, I mean, Jesus, like 
I mean, they barely even covered the the bill spread with the point total. I mean, there are only 15 total points scored in this game. And Buffalo played probably one of the worst games that I've ever seen them play. Granted, I'm only 26, but this is one of the worst losses that I've seen the Bills have in my entire lifetime. Granted, there have been some bad losses in the past with the Bills. I know one in particular was, I remember back in like 2007, they were playing the Patriots on Sunday night and they just got absolutely obliterated by Tom Brady, Randy Moss, Wes Welker on that Sunday night matchup. But I think this loss against Jacksonville is even worse because Jacksonville is at the bottom of the barrel in the AFC. Jacksonville as a team is basically one step above a division one football team out of the SEC. And with all the shenanigans that have gone on with Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence has been inconsistent this year. I mean, the Bills should have won this game easily. This should have been at least a two possession game for the Bills. But the Bills just made so many mental mistakes in this game. They had 12 penalties for damn near 120 penalty yards. And on third down, they weren't really efficient. And there were a lot of plays where it's third down, and it's like third and 10, third and 12, third and 15. And even before then, on second down, there were multiple plays where the Bills are backed up second and 20, second and 25, second and 15. It's just like you're already kind of digging yourself a hole in the drive. Now, granted, I thought their defense played fine. They held Jacksonville to nine points. I mean, literally 99 out of 100 times, you're probably going to win a game like that when your defense is playing that well. But, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, the offense got six points on the board today. And this is a high-powered offense. And you couldn't get more than t- six points? That That's just, it really kind of goes to show just... The Bills just couldn't get on track whatsoever offensively today. And Kevin, I know we've talked about this before. They are so one-dimensional because they just don't run the football. Josh Allen was their leading rusher once again today. He had 50 yards on the ground. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary had a combined 22 yards on the ground. You can't have that. You can't have that. It's unacceptable that this team is one of the best teams in the AFC, yet they have literally no run game whatsoever. So when I look at Buffalo... This is not only a bad loss. This is one of the worst losses I've ever seen them take. And, you know, for Jacksonville, you know, good on them. You know, this is probably going to be their biggest win of the year, a win that nobody expected. But, yeah, I'm really focusing on Buffalo here. Buffalo should have won this game by a mile. And, you know, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board. You know, I had them as my number six team in the entire NFL in the power rankings last week. I mean, with this loss, they might drop out of the top 10 just because this performance against Jacksonville was just outright disgusting. We're halfway through the season at this point. You should not be having performances like this. You know, if this was in week one, week two, okay, you know, you're still trying to figure things out. But in week nine, we're in November. This should not happen any way, shape, or form. So, you know, the Bills got to get it together. And, you know, when they play the Jets next week, man, they might put up 40 45 points just because they got to make up for this tire fire of a game against Jacksonville. So that's pretty much I mean, all I got to say about that. Let's not sleep on the fact of, well, you know, I'm using my trusty iPad here. Thankfully, AJ brought, you know, a good prop for the up for the podcast. Um, we're talking 112 total penalty yards for the Buffalo Bills. So anytime Buffalo did make significant headway in the offensive side, they shot themselves in the foot, the foot whether that be a hold, 
an, a, a false start. I mean, you name it, Buffalo just could not get it going. And if they did, they were their own worst enemy. So from beginning to end, Buffalo looked atrocious. Um, currently, Los Angeles looks atrocious. 21-3, a minute and 24 to go with two timeouts. And uh, I believe Tennessee will get the ball at half as well. So current live update there just does not look good. They cannot get over the 50-yard line, for God's sakes, there on the 26. Yeah, so it just looks bad for the Rams. They're down bad. Upset Sunday may continue by the end of the night. Dude, like, it's just one of those weeks. I mean, dude, when we do our power rankings on Tuesday, it's going to be in literal shambles. Just because, I mean, I know we're going to talk about the Dallas game in like a minute or two. But Dallas went down. The Rams are probably going down. The Bills went down. The Packers lost. Granted, you know, they didn't have Aaron Rodgers in. But it's like still like a lot of the top five teams or like the top six or seven teams that I had in the power rankings last week, they all took L's in week nine, which is kind of surprising just because most of those teams, most of those teams have been playing outstanding the entire year. But, bro, just I don't know what it, I don't know what happened today in week nine, but that's just that's just the result of what happened. But um, we're not complaining this Sundays, no, baby. Bro, that's why they play the game. It's like Chris Berman <laughs> always says, like, bro, that's why they play the game. You never know what could happen. But um, with that said, we'll transition into our next game, which will be the Denver Broncos pulling off a huge road win against the Dallas Cowboys. So the Broncos beat the Cowboys by the score of 30 to 16. This game got so out of control that by the fourth quarter, Denver was up 30 to nothing on the road against Dallas. Dallas is one of the best teams in the NFC by far this season. And this was probably the worst game that they will have the entire season. But you got to give Denver credit. Denver came to play. Their defense was absolutely stifling. Their offense was clicking with Teddy Bridgewater, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon. Even Tim Patrick, one of their wideouts, was having a hell of a game against Dallas's secondary. So, I mean, all in all, just a well-rounded win for Denver from beginning to end in this game. So, AJ, I'm going to pose the question to you here. Just with the win that the Broncos had against the Cowboys, is this a cause of concern for Dallas moving forward, or is this just a one-off performance for them? I think with the division they're in, uh, it's a one-off. They definitely have some things to work on. Uh, That defense needs to... I don't know. They got to go back and watch film because they gave up 191 yards on the ground. So uh, anytime you do that, you're, you're probably going to lose the football game. Um, I was looking at the time of possession of that game and Denver had the ball for 41 minutes, 41 minutes. The ball was in, in Dak's hand for 18 minutes of that game. That's just, there's no way you're going to win a game like that. Uh, the, they had two really good drives at the beginning of the game. And after that, the offense just stalled out. Um, I think it, it also kind of comes back to some coaching decisions. So on, on those first two drives where, Den- where Dallas was moving the ball, uh, they went for it on fourth and one in one occasion. Uh, the second occasion, I don't know what the uh, yardage was, but they also went for it on fourth down. And they got stuffed on both. And so that just stalls your drive. You get no points after driving down the field. And now your defense has to go out there down 16-0, 14-0, whatever the score was, uh, and their backs are against the wall. Like you said, they didn't score until the fourth quarter, and they passed up on two key opportunities in the first quarter to score. So I I get it. The league is heading to a place where 
Um, it's a little more analytical. Um, they take more chances on fourth downs. You see the Ravens do it. You see the Chargers do it. Uh, but sometimes it comes back to bite you. So I, I think I think they're still contenders. I think I think they're still okay. Uh, speaking about Dallas, there, um, their offense just did not look good today. Um, they didn't do well on third down. I think their third down efficiency was like thirty eight percent. Um, so they left a lot of uh, yardage out there. Um, but we got to give it up to the Broncos. They played. They went out there with a game plan and they stuck to it. They ran the ball. Uh, Teddy managed the clock. Uh, which is his strength. You know, he's not going to go out there and throw for 350 and four touchdowns. Uh, that's not his game. He's more of a game manager. But uh, Denver's defense came to play today, and it really showed on the field. So, I mean, AJ pretty much took all the thunder here. I mean, this is going to be difficult for me to make my valid points or use my emotions to kind of get in this. But I'm just going to look at the camera real quick, and I'm just going to point out, and you guys know who you are, Every Dallas fan out there that's been riding this season like it's a Super Bowl year, I've been defending you guys, and then you go and fucking lose to the Broncos at home. You don't just lose. You get mollywhopped, and you throw garbage-time touchdowns and garbage-time two-point conversions. Y'all not going to get away with this bullshit. Y'all are down 30-0 to zero at home. Your offense is healthy. I've been praising y'all. This is going to be their year. They're going to contend. They're going to go for an NFC championship potentially. They're going to fight in the NFC. And Kyle has been telling me, bro, they going to lose, man. This isn't the real Dallas. And I'm converting him to start believing, like, bit by bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, bro, they look different. This is different. This is for real. They're going to get healthy. Granted, their defense did show up, and they did sack Teddy about four times. And, you know, they did. No, that's about it. That's all. That's the only good thing they did because I thought they got a hold, but they didn't. So, guys, realistically, I'm looking at this Cowboys team, and I'm saying, what the hell is this? Like, everyone's owed or do a hiccup. Everybody gets a mistake, like I said the last segment. But I'm just looking at this like, no, 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 no. This ain't no mistake. This is an embarrassment. If you were in Denver, I get it, the crowd noise, the, the, the elevation, whatever excuse you want to use, global warming, I don't give a shit. <laughs> you're indoors, you're home, you're 5-1, and one, they just traded their historic best defensive player in their history. Yep. That's supposed to be like a demoralizing, like bullshit. Like, oh, we, we, everyone said the Rams, excuse me, the Broncos have given up. This was their waving of the red flag or the yep. white flag saying they're, they're, they're checked out. And then they dropped 30 on Dallas. Now, again, Dallas isn't known for their crazy defense. Dallas is not known at all for their, their swarming, stifling, anything. Where was Diggs at? Because that boy was getting cooked left and right in some of the plays we was watching. Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, and God knows who else the fuck did whatever they needed. Bro, he was getting his sauce work, bro. So I don't want to hear no type of shit about defensive player of the year. I need to put some respect. Shout out to my dog, Darius Leonard. He's not even in the conversation. But we're not going to get into that tonight because it's, it's not about that. We're bigger. We're better than that. So... I'm just looking at the stat line over here. That got garbage time, so their stats are literally irrelevant. But I'm just going to start with something here. They did get behind relatively quickly, so the run game was non-existent. We all know that Dallas does their best football when they run the football. Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott had a combined total rushing attempt of 14 for a total of 62 yards. So once again, Denver's defense was swarming and able. they were also able to contain the run. So, I mean, from beginning to end, they didn't stop the pressure. They kept their foot on the gas, and 
like the Colts did, kind of like on Thursday night, they kind of just made sure they kept everything in front of them. So what? They gave up two garbage time touchdowns. They knew it was a little bit too far to reach. But shout out to Denver, man. Everybody wrote them off, myself included. Um, you know, I didn't really think that they were going to be able to do this. I thought Dallas was going to steamroll over, and they came away with the upset, man. Shout out to them, for real. I mean, to, to focus on Dallas here, you know, this is probably going to be the worst game that they have of the entire season. But I got to be honest. You know, this was Dak's first game back, you know, after he had the uh, the calf issue that he had been dealing with the last couple of weeks. And he looked bad. There was in one point in this game where he only completed six out of like his 19 or 20 passes, like his uh, first 20 passes. He just looked rusty. And, you know, there were some wide open receivers that he missed. There were some passes to, to CeeDee Lamb or Amari Cooper where... They have some separation. It's just that Dak wasn't able to make those passes, wasn't able to execute properly. And to kind of hit on a point that AJ made, really, they, just, they dug themselves in a hole right in the beginning of the game. Going for those two fourth downs on back-to-back drives, I think it was a bad decision. The first one, I can kind of live with that one. But going for it on the second one, when they were in the red zone, I mean, look, Granted, you know, I know they're trying to be aggressive. I know they're trying to, you know, get up 7 nothing compared to 3 nothing. But it's like sometimes you just got to accept the fact. It's like, hey, you know what? The defense got us on this one. Let's just settle for the three points. Let's at least get on the board. And let's put the pressure back on Denver to make it a game after that. And really, I, once they missed that second fourth down, it put them behind the eight ball the entire game. Just because... Denver was able to get some really good drives in the first half. You know, they were getting great production from Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, especially Javante Williams. Javante Williams, man, that that man could not be stopped whatsoever. There were multiple plays where he was getting several yards after first contact and just dragging defenders along with him. I thought Melvin Gordon had a solid game to go along with that. And I thought Teddy played one of his most efficient games, if not one of his better games of the entire season. And with the way that Dallas's secondary was playing, you know, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, like there were plays where they got great separation against Dallas's corners and safeties. And they were able to make some big plays. I really thought that that, that one Tim Patrick, uh 44 yard bomb from Teddy, that really kind of blew this game open. And Dallas, once they got down in that hole, they just couldn't get anything offensively going, any sort of consistency on that side of the ball. And it's like you guys said, the Cowboys only possessed the ball for 18 minutes in this game compared to the 41 and a half minutes with Denver. Denver owned this game from beginning to end. And really, you know, I know the score says 30 to 16, but those are just garbage time points. And I mean, Denver was up 30 to nothing on the road against one of the best teams in the NFC. So, you know, give credit where credit is due. Denver came to play today. Dallas just looked out of sorts from the beginning and I'm not really going to account for much as far as the garbage time points goes, but you know, Dallas hasn't really had a bad game this year up until this point. Even the one loss that they had against the bucks, they lost in a game winning field goal and they all lost that game by two points outside of that. They've looked spectacular the entire year, but yeah, this is probably their worst game of the entire year. And you know, it might just be a blip on the radar throughout the entire season when we look back on it. But yeah, this was quite a shocker as far as I'm concerned because I I thought that Dallas would just kind of march through Denver this this week just because 
Kevin, when we did our episode last week, we didn't even mention them in one of our topics because we just kind of assumed that Dallas would just kind of roll through. But Denver just gave them the hands today. They gave them the business, and I got to give them credit for that. So I think Dallas will be okay moving forward. But, yeah, this is an ugly loss as far as I'm concerned with the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go out there and say it's a fluke. I mean, but like AJ said, it's not that big of a deal considering they do play in the NFC East. It's not like anybody's going to come out of left field and take the division away from them. Um, Internally in the locker room, I would say that there are probably some issues. Like they're probably going to be upset with themselves, not only getting embarrassed at home, but they just could not execute on multiple sides of the ball. So they'll go back to the drawing board. Mike McCarthy will come out there and he'll, you know, he'll get those boys fired up. But I think that, you know, Dak really needs to sit back and really look at it. Was the calf really holding him back? Did he come back too soon? Did he get enough reps this week in practice? Was it hindering him and his ability to move in the pocket? I We didn't see the game directly. I, I mean, we saw some highlights, I, but I, I, I don't know. I, I watched some parts of the game, and what I noticed was is that he was moving fine. He was actually overthrowing his guys a lot. So, you know, they would actually get separation. You know, there'd be some plays where he runs out of the pocket, and he actually, like, you know, would get some distance on the ball. It wasn't an issue of power on the passes. It was just, he was overthrowing guys. And, you know, there were some opportunities to be had as far as, you know, C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper coming down with some catches. But, you know, Dak just missed some of the passes. This is a game that, when I look back at it, Dak was just rusty. You know, because Dak has been one of the more efficient passers as far as any quarterback goes in the NFL through the first two months of the season. And this was probably his worst performance so far as far as efficiency goes. He only completed, what, like 50% of his passes? He was like 19 of 39 in this game? Yeah. So, so you know, there have been games where, you know, Dak was completing at least 65 to 70% of his passes on a consistent basis. So, you know, it's like you said, Kevin. It's it's not like the Cowboys are going to lose a division because of this game. You know, the Cowboys have a pretty solid lead over everybody else in the NFC East. But... You know, getting blown out by damn near 30 at one point at home. That's not a good look. So this is one of those games where, you know, they'll go through film study uh, Monday morning. You know, I imagine the coaches are going to do a lot of yelling. I'd probably send the guys to do some gassers after, you know, giving up that many points at home. But no, I mean, all together, you know, just the whole team had a really bad performance. Defensively, they got smoked. Offensively, they couldn't get anything going. And, you know, it really kind of goes without saying. It's like, you know. They had a bad game. You know, exactly. that's that's how it goes. Sometimes you have good games, sometimes you have a bad one. But to go two months until you have your first bad game throughout the entire season, I mean, it's pretty solid. So I mean, you know, they'll build they'll build from this one. But yeah, it's it's a bad loss. So but yeah. shout out to Denver. Denver showed up, man. And, and this I'll was after you. the whole Von Miller situation where he got traded to LA and they responded extremely well after that trade. So give them credit. All right, I'll tell you who was really happy with this game and the Bills game was Vegas. <laughs> they made oh, a lot yeah. of money off these two games. Oh, for sure. This, this weekend, they I must mean, have made I, a killing. I mean, I don't know what the over-under was for the uh, the Bills and Jags game. I would probably think it was going to probably be like the high 30s, maybe the low 40s. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 I, I don't get, remember the, off the top of my head. but Man, that, God, imagine you had like a six or seven game parlay. Yeah, and that, was like, and that was like the one where it was like, damn, like had that game been like a little bit more like competitive as far as like the offenses go, maybe it could have won it. But bro, it was like a baseball score in that game. 
Right. Like legitimately, right. like, you know, we saw some World Series games where the score was kind of like that. So, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, at least the Denver, like Cowboys game, I mean, as far as the point spread goes, I mean, it's, you know, they scored 46 points altogether. So, I mean, that's, it's more of a typical or like an average kind of result that you would see as far as like the betting line goes for the over under. Yeah, but, no, I mean, betting-wise, like AJ said, Vegas won the entire, the entire day. Like, the entire oh, day. Yeah. oh, the entire day. You know? Oh, yeah. Unless, unless there, like, there's like this one random guy that did a 10-team parlay, and he needs <laughs> like the Steelers to, to win on the, the road against Chicago tomorrow. You know, it's probably like some random dude who put like $100,000 down, 100000 on that 10-team parlay, and all he needs is one more, and then Pittsburgh is probably going to mess it up tomorrow. But or the way the weekend is going, yeah, yeah, right. I, I I wouldn't put it past it. So, with that said, we'll transition into our third game of our featured topics, which is going to be the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Cleveland Browns put an absolute beat down on the Cincinnati Bengals on the road as well. And despite all the Odell drama that took place uh, this past weekend, where Cleveland did release him, he is on the free agent market or on the waiver market at this point. But it did not stop Cleveland from probably having their best offensive output since the Chargers game, which was over a month ago. So putting up 41 points on the road is extremely impressive. You know, Baker Mayfield completed about 66% of his passes. Nick Chubb was an absolute monster on the ground with over 135 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And, you know, as far as the wideouts go, Baker was able to distribute the ball very well or very evenly across the board with his targets. So a great road win for Cleveland. So AJ, to get this to you in this AFC North battle, just how impressive was this win for Cleveland scoring 41 points on the road against an up and coming team like the Bengals? Well, in order to answer that question, I, I don't know how, how to feel about Cincinnati. I, I don't know how good they really are. I mean, they uh, three weeks ago, they go and they beat down on Baltimore. Absolute blowout. And then they come down and they lose to the Jets last week. And now they get run through by Cleveland. And I, I think this, this kind of makes sense because of their, their youth. They're still very young. Um, Joe Burrow is still out there making mistakes that young quarterbacks make which is fine. Uh, only his second year in the league. He didn't even finish his rookie year because of that uh, nasty injury. But um, but the difference in this game was turnovers. Um, I think Joe had two interceptions and a fumble, and Cleveland didn't tur- turn the ball over a single time. The way the game started, uh, Kevin and I were actually watching that first possession. Um, Joe Burrow drove the ball all the way down mm-hmm. to the red zone, yeah. and it ends in a 99-yard interception return for a touchdown, a pick six. And that just that's deflating for an offense. Now to give them credit, they came back and they drove down the field again and scored on the next possession. Um, but Cleveland came back and answered. And every time you know Cincinnati may have gone on a little run, uh, Cleveland responded with a with a bigger response. So um, I think it was. I mean that Cleveland defense is really good. Uh, there's no questions about that. Um, but the teams that defend well and run the ball well typically win the game. So. Uh, not shocked to see Cleveland win the game. I think it is it is a good win for them, um, especially the way that they beat down on Cincinnati. Um, it's encouraging to see them come out there and play their style of football. 
even with all the drama going on with Odell. Um, but I think they're on the right track. Uh, if they can get Kareem back soon, uh, they can stick to their game plan. Uh, Nick Chubb ran the ball at an incredible rate. I think he was averaging like 9.8 a carry, uh, which is ridiculous. But that's what we've come accustomed to uh, getting from Nick Chubb. So uh, if they can come into games, establish the run consistently, uh, their defense is good enough to hold opposing teams to low-scoring games. And uh, and we've seen Baker be able to play in that atmosphere, you know, where he doesn't have to take the big shot down, down the field consistently. Uh, as long as they're not relying on him uh, to put up massive points, uh, I think they're going to be okay. So I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, first and foremost, God damn, thank God I got Nick Chubb in fantasy. <laughs> Secondly... I'm saying, Kyle, we've been talking about this since last year when Joe Burrow got drafted. They're not able to keep him upright. They're not able to protect their franchise quarterback. He was sacked five times today. And some of them looked really bad where he was getting clobbered and knocked around. Not to mention any rushes and hurries and QB knockdowns. Cleveland was in that backfield all game long, and Joe wasn't able to get into a rhythm. Obviously, at this point, you're looking at it at the same time and saying, well, Cincinnati's rush offense didn't help either. Joe Mixon was only given 13 total touches, so they did try to force the ball down the field. Granted, Cleveland went on that scoring spree in the second and third quarter and scored 27 total points um, in those two quarters alone, not to mention the seven they put up in the fourth quarter. So from start to finish, there was was absolutely no stop in Cleveland's offense. And again, that's in huge parts Nick Chubb playing great. Uh, Dearness Johnson only had eight total touches for 16 yards. So not like it was a, an open field, like a Kareem Hunt there being what like it would have been. But overall, Baker managed the game well, didn't turn the ball over. He was sacked twice, but 14 out of 21 for 218 and two touchdowns. It's good enough to get it done. But my biggest thing is Baker is not a dynamic game changer. He's not a quarterback that's going to go out there and win you game and you you think about it and you say well if Joe Burrow stays up or if Joe Burrow doesn't turn the ball over you know I'm playing the what if game but would Baker have been able to hold this lead you know uh, Jamar Chase dropped the fucking touchdown today and I mean like I needed that for fantasy so he obviously wasn't thinking about me so let's let's put that out there god damn it um but Jamar dropped when I mean like in the actual breadbasket like it couldn't have been a better ball from Joe and the defender had no chance to get it because it went over his head and it just fell in. So, I mean, like, they also had deflating instances where they got no points out of certain drives as well. So, I think this game could have been a little bit closer, but I agree completely with AJ. The identity of the Cincinnati Bengals is yet to be really determined or should I be, you know, like, really revealed because they started off so hot, but because they're so young, is it, are they going to come back up and ride another hot streak? Are they going to fall down because they have no confidence? Or are they going to stay stagnant and win a game or two here and there? The AFC North is a tight battle right now. 5-4 and four Cleveland, 5-4 and four Cincinnati, and, and, and Baltimore wins today to move to 7-2, and two, right? Was it, was it, it's, seven? it's either like 6-2 and two or 7-2. and two. So one of the two, right? At the end of the day, the division is very, very close, but... Cincinnati, I, I, I really got to put you guys on blast here. This is back-to-back games where you're not only letting up the letting up a lot of points on the defense, but your offense just isn't able to freaking carry and finish through. So 
I don't necessarily know what's going to happen go forward. Uh, Zach Taylor is a brilliant offensive mind in terms of getting this team and rallying them together as a young unit. But it's about how you handle adversity in the NFL and, you know, what can your quarterback do for you in these crunch time situations. Joe had 282, but he had no touchdowns, and he just could not keep the ball out of the other the opposing team's hands. So back to the drawing board for this team as well. Kudos to Cleveland. Odell drama aside, they did what they needed to do. They mollywhopped the team in their division, and now they're 5-4 and four above 500. Well, I'm going to start here with Cleveland just because, I mean, they scored 41 points on the road against Cincinnati. And, I mean, this was an offensive performance that I was really kind of not expecting from Cleveland just because the last month or so, they have been really struggling to put up points on the board. And in large part, that's due to the fact that the Browns were just hurt as a team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Baker's dealing with that torn labor issue that's going to linger throughout the entire season. And, I mean, a lot of their scoring in the last three games were in the teens. You know, these are low-scoring games that they were putting on the board, and I thought it was going to be more of the same against Cincinnati. But I got to give credit to the Browns. They played an outstanding offensive game against Cincinnati just because they were able to get great production across the board in the passing game, in the run game. And they were able to receive the ball well as far as their wideouts go. I mean, Baker was efficient today. You know, he completed about 66% of his passes. And Nick Chubb, he looks fully healthy once again because he just ripped it up and down the field against Cincinnati's defense at will. I believe he had like, what, like a 75-yard rushing touchdown that was like the second one of the game that pretty much ended it as far as Cincinnati's chances to get back into it. But from beginning to end, Cleveland was just outstanding in the first half. You know, they were able to get that pick six early off of Joe Burrow. And then it was kind of like a dogfight throughout the first quarter because Cincinnati was able to tie it up at seven, seven, but Cleveland went on a huge run in that second quarter. They put up 17 points to Cincinnati's three in the third, in the second quarter. So, I mean, going into halftime, you're up 24 to 10. I mean, to be up two possessions on the road in a critical AFC North Divisional Battle. I mean, that's huge. And then they were able to continue it in the second half by putting up 17 points, 10 in the third quarter, and then 7 in the fourth quarter. So, you know, it's a well-rounded win for Cleveland. It's like I said, they really needed to get this one because with the Odell drama that had been going on the last couple of weeks, they'd been on a two- to three-game skid prior to getting this win over Cincinnati. You know, it looked like they were kind of like falling out of the the order falling out of the top of the AFC North, but this kind of puts them right back in that mix moving forward. And then to kick it to Cincinnati, there's no other way I could say this. They're just going through growing pains. Granted, there's a lot of potential with this team, but they're very young and they're prone to making mistakes. And we're seeing it once again last week, you know, they gave up a two possession lead to Mike white, the backup quarterback for the jets. To go to Bro, I mean, he looked like Tom Brady out there last week against Cincinnati. He defense. may be better. Bro, it's just, you know, you give up that two-possession lead to the Jets. You lose 34-31 to 31 last week. And then the defense gives up 41 to Baker Mayfield and that Browns offense. And this is after Baker has looked pretty inconsistent the last couple of weeks. Nick Chubb has been in and out of the lineup. But you give up this type of performance on the defensive side of the ball, you're never going to win games like this. So 
My biggest concern moving forward is clearly, like what Kevin said, they are not protecting Joe Burrow whatsoever. He is just getting hit left and right. And, you know, those hits are going to pile up. We've seen quarterbacks, especially in their younger stages of their career, if they're not protected well, you know, injuries are going to become a factor. And it may even throw in some confidence issues just, just because they're always in fear of getting hit by defenders. So that'll be something to monitor moving forward. But another issue with Cincinnati is their defense. You know, you gave up 34 last week. You give up 41 against Cincinnati, against Cleveland, excuse me. Man, I mean, that's not a winning formula. You tie that all together. I, I mean, Cincinnati, you know, they got off to a very hot start this year, but they've really kind of come back down to earth the last couple weeks. And, you know, they're going to have to kind of figure to figure a way to rally the troops to get back onto the winning side of the scoreboard moving forward because, man, if this defense is giving points up like that, wins are going to be hard to come by for Cincinnati moving forward when you go along with the fact that Joe Burrow's turning the ball over and he's getting hit like every other play. So, yeah, there's definitely some issues with Cincinnati that are definitely mounting in the middle part of the season. But, you know, all in all, I mean, the AFC North is a toss-up right now. It's like Kevin mentioned, Baltimore's, is at the top right now, but you know, Cincinnati and Cleveland and Pittsburgh are kind of all in that same mix there. So it's going to be a very interesting stretch in the second half of the season, seeing which team is going to be really kind of competing against the Ravens because the Ravens really kind of look like that team that seemed to be the odds on favorite to be the divisional winner when it's all said and done in the AFC North. Right. And and this is kind of why I said uh, I don't know how to feel about Cincinnati, because at the beginning of the year, their defense was playing much better than we expected. Um, you know, they were keeping them in games mm-hmm. um, in positions where Joe could get the job done. Uh, but like you mentioned, man, against the Jets last week and then giving up 41 to Cleveland this week. Um and I'll give them some credit. It's it's tough to do when when your offense gives up the ball three times in plus um, territory. But mm-hmm. I don't that that defense needs to buckle up. Oh yeah, buckle, it, buckle up is an understatement, bro. It, it's it's getting bad and it's demoralizing because as a defense, you're looking at it and you're saying, "Shit, we're practicing, we're busting our ass. We gave up 34 in a loss to a team we shouldn't have." All right, this is a divisional matchup. This is when we got to turn it up. You know what I'm saying? You usually have a chip on your shoulder after an embarrassing loss. And I'm pretty sure they came into this game confident, saying, like, we can do this. And then you don't just lose. You get your ass handed to you at home. Bro, it's like AJ said at the very beginning of the segment. It's just the youth, and I don't necessarily know if they're going to be able to overcome this because it's, it's, we're talking back-to-back losses totaling in what 75 points in the last two weeks to relatively mediocre offensive teams outside of one person being Nick Chubb and at that point you stack the box and you make Baker beat you and Baker was able to do that enough so I I necessarily don't know what's going to happen with Cincinnati but if I had to put a bet on it I don't think they're going to be able to come back I really don't either Joe's going to get hurt God forbid or this defense is literally just going to be giving up 30-plus points per game because they're, they're not going to get better, let's be frank, from here to the end of the year. Well, I I think the one issue from this game in particular was when they got down into that, into that 7-0 deficit early on, just because it's like AJ mentioned. You know, you march down the field, you're literally just one play from scoring a touchdown with like within the five-yard line. 
and it goes for a 99-yard interception return for a touchdown. It's demoralizing. You know, granted, they were able to tie it up 7-7. to I think Joe Mixon had a touchdown, you know, that tied it up. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's really demoralizing to an extent just because, you know, you take that possession away, you know, where they could have been up at least 3 nothing, potentially even 7 nothing, on that possession where they got the pick 6. You know, being up 14-7 at the end of the first quarter or being up 10-7, it's a lot different than being tied, you know, 7-7, you know, going into the second quarter. And then I, it's just I thought Cleveland made some really good adjustments at the end of the first half by being able to just go on that huge run in the second quarter. I mean, to be up 24-10 to on the road in a pivotal AFC North divisional matchup, it's huge. It's absolutely oh, huge. And it just because... Sunday, Kyle. What? Upset Sunday. It just continues... Yeah. I know, but it's like, you know, Cleveland had been on that really bad stretch for the last month or so. And, that, you know, getting this win on the road, it may even kickstart something. And I do think that now that the Odell issue that's been literally hanging over their heads, probably the last three to four weeks is out of the way. I can't put it past Cleveland to maybe possibly go on a little bit of a run here now that their headache with Odell is done and away with. So... You know, now we don't have to really hear about, oh, you know, Baker's not really targeting Odell like the way that he should. Or, you know, we're not going to hear, you know, Odell's father chip in saying, hey, Baker's, you know, just not throwing to my son. This is unfair. This is BS. Like, you know, now they can kind of focus on, you know, the game at hand when they go into the game they're going into that week. So, you know, really the main thing, though, with Cleveland is can they just stay healthy? They've been riddled with injuries throughout the entire year so far. And. You know, we got to see how Baker keeps on playing because that labor issue is going to be something to monitor as the season goes on. I think it was really affecting him the last couple of weeks, but it didn't look like an issue in this game. He looked pretty good. This is probably one of the best performances that he's had in a while. So it's good on Baker to get that one done, though. So I got to give props to the guy. Yeah, we all know that Baker's a tough guy. Um, Kyle and I mentioned it a few episodes back. He's probably one of the last kind of people of his generation to really be trying to play through an injury like a labor like that. Most quarterbacks, if not most players or athletes, second they hear this injury, they're like, oh, I'm done. I'm going to take my paycheck. I'm going to sit down. Like, Baker's a gamer, like my dad used to always tell me. He'll play through whatever he can. And, you know, he's a warrior. So, I mean, I give him kudos. That motivates a locker room. That rallies the troops behind you. That says, damn, my quarterback's willing to put it all on the line, risk his check and his career. Granted, it's an opposite throwing arm. It's the opposite of his throwing arm. So it's not like he's playing with a torn laborman is throwing on, but it's still, you know, it could hinder his career and his life. So we'll, uh, we'll just continue to play it by ear. And I agree with Kyle. I mean, Cleveland is definitely poised for a run and we're just going to have to legit see how the rest of the season goes, but this is a confidence booster. What's the update on the Rams game? Currently 21, three, uh, LA has 70 total yards and penalties. Tennessee has five. So that is dictating the game, but, um, LA is currently on the 50, uh, second and five driving. Still second quarter. The uh, third or... halftime already happened. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm not really paying attention to it. I'm kind of focusing on. I'm kind of like leaning on you guys for that at this point. So you think yeah, the Rams we got can stats? Really... We got stats here, and then we got the game right here. You think Rams can make a comeback? Listen, <laughs> I bet on the plus money, so <laughs> I, I got faith. I got faith. Uh, <laughs> 
keeping the fingers crossed, right? Money, hey, money in a dream. They're driving. They're driving right now. Um, I think they came out first possession, got stopped, and then they stopped Tennessee. So nobody scored yet on this half. So if they if they score here, I'm feeling good. See that that we'll and see, see that that or ends in a Matt Stafford interception. He's already got two of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. But Ellie's defense is promising. They sacked him two times to end the half. Uh, they got a lot of pressure on that last drive for Tannehill. Um, Aaron Donald is playing phenomenal right now, whether he's just getting pressure or making life a little bit miserable. But overall, um, I think it's just going to get better if they can just score this right here. I think that the, the Rams can make a run. Yeah. Bob Noah's not playing today, though. I didn't no, know that. no. He, 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 he's an active. He was an active for this yeah. one. But uh, Van Jefferson just dropped a 52 yard bomb, but. That's not I would have appreciated that one. Yeah, I, I would have appreciated that one, you know? No, it needs to be Cooper <laughs> Cup or Tyler Higby, right, pal? Exactly. Not Cooper Cup. I need Tyler Higby on this one. No, I, got, I got both of them, so like I said, either one works for me, okay? My situation's not your situation. I just need Higby to pop off. You know I'm going up, you got I'm two going, catchers, so we're both losing, okay? Uh, How does that uh, make you feel? I, I'm going up against Cooper Cup in my fantasy game this week, so I don't, oh, I can't I can't need him to pop off. And and not only that, Matt Stafford is the quarterback that I'm going up against. So I'm kind of happy that he's kind of struggling so far. There oh, goes Higby. There goes Higby. Did he score? There goes Higby. 30 yards. 30 yards. I'll take – hey, if I'll he take that. If he would have cut back right, I think he could have scored. Yeah. That don't I'll make no that. difference. But, oh, he's uh, limping. Oh, he's limping. Oh, no, no, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just go to the sideline. Oh, he's, he's still in the huddle. He's still in the huddle. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's not going to get the ball, but he's fine. Um, okay. We do have another couple of games left on our slate. I know that we can easily get lost in bullshit <laughs> in this damn blue game that we're watching live. Kevin, this is what we do all the time, though. Like, come on. I know, man. That's, I don't want to keep AJ from doing what he's got to do. You know, he's a guest in my house. I don't want to, you know, keep him here for two, three hours. We could do this all night, but, you know, he's a guest. I know, but at least we started at a good time today. At least we didn't start recording at, like, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Oh, no. AJ would have been sleeping right if we started at 10, 11 o'clock. <laughs> Hey, the life of a teacher, man. The life of a teacher. That's my best time. We're getting old, man. We've talked about this several times. I know. I could see those grays popping, Kevin. You got to be careful. Oh, okay. see, oh see, I tried to tell him. I tried to tell him. I don't do that to you, okay? You, you know, they do have, you know, that just for men, you know, the light touch of gray. Wow, you know, we're going to go that far. It works. It works on both, to be fair. It I'm works just on saying, both. You, but, Kevin, that it's like, like you're talking from experience. No, I mean, I've seen them. I got, I got some red in mine. Kevin, it's a nice blend, though. You know, it, it shows that you're you're a little bit seasoned. Like, you've been around the block. It, it definitely shows that, you, you know. There you go. You got away with words, Kyle. You got away it, with words. It, Kevin, it shows your experience. You know, that's what it shows. It's a compliment. Maybe a backhanded oh, one, but it's a compliment. Actually, if only Isabel actually watched these podcasts, because she would just be like, oh, my God, Kyle's the best, because that's all she says is that I'm old. But anyway, you know, the Arizona Cardinals – we're down quite a bit of personnel today, and they were definitely not expected to win this game the way that they did, and they won this very handedly against a division rival in the 49ers by the score of 31 to 17. So, oh my God, Van Jefferson oh, dropped the touchdown. Oh. Um, oh my God. So, I'm looking at this game and I'm saying, what the hell happened? How did this even happen? And why did the 49ers suck so bad? So, I mean, AJ, I'm just going to pose the question to you. Does this win without Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, and Chase Edmonds signal to you with this victory that the Cardinals are the team to beat? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I thought they were the team to beat before these injuries, or before this game. Um, but for them to come out and beat the 49ers by two possessions, it, 
it made no sense. No sense. The 49ers were favored to win this game, obviously, when the news about Kyler and Hopkins um, came out. But like you said, Edmonds left the game in the first quarter. And with all of that, they still put up 31 points. Touchdown, Higby. I don't, I don't understand. Oh, yeah. That, yep. Are they going for two? I'm sorry, Kyle. Hold on. <laughs> no, like, I, I, like, I know you guys can't see me, but I'm like, I'm like, yes, like, let's go. Like, <laughs> I'm like, he's probably oh, gonna be like, he's got probably got like beautiful. 15 fantasy points right now. Like, I'm totally about it. Did you step out? Oh, oh the heel might have been out. out. The heel might have been out. They better hurry up. They better hurry up and hike it. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. He stepped out. He stepped out. Oh, no, no, no. It's yeah, in the air. It's in the air. It's in the air. It's in the white. It's always stepped out. Not looking good, Kyle. Not looking good. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully they don't hike. You, bro, you, uh, review, it's coming back. It's coming you, back. You, you get, you, why you get my hopes up, Kevin? Why? Why? Oh, we didn't see it in the other angle. You that's fair. Tell. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, oh that's not bad. Yeah, it's not yeah, looking good. That's he's coming back. Anyway, so, you were saying you made a point. So to see to see Colt McCoy, <laughs> huh? Colt McCoy come out here and throw for almost two fifty and a touchdown on this point. This point Niners defense is supposed to be good. I don't I don't understand what happened. I mean, granted, I, I didn't watch that game um, too much. I was I was focused on that Green Bay Kansas City game, <laughs> which we'll talk about in a, in a little bit, but. Um, yeah, James Conner came out here and he had almost about nine, he had ninety six yards, almost at one hundred, and two touchdowns. So I mean, the Cardinals had an offensive explosion without their star players, which is incredible. It, it makes no sense to me. So I, I think this definitely. I mean, in my opinion, they were already solidified as a team to beat. I think they're the favorites right now. The way that they're playing on both sides of the ball. Um, and when Kyler's out there, man, he's he's magical. Like he, you, he, the play's never dead when the ball's in his hands. So with Kyler um, leading the offense and Hopkins out there, um, when these guys are healthy, I, I think they have a fair shot at, at taking taking home the championship this year. So I mean, Kyle. I mean, the same question goes back to you, bro. I mean, do, do you think that that, that Arizona really? that damn team, because this, this was pretty convincing for me. We didn't watch it, but seeing the updates just kind of solidified with a backup that is damn near the age of my father. And I say that obviously <laughs> joking. Um, it's kind of interesting when you really look at it and you say, yeah, Colt McCoy was really able to carve up this San Fran defense. So, I mean, Kyle, what, what do you think this game means for Arizona? I mean, like, Jesus Christ, it's like 2010. Did like 2010 just like come calling back because it's like the last time I've ever heard of Colt McCoy actually, you know, balling out, bro. He had four incompletions today, four 22 of 26, 275 yards passing. I, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, this is insane. Christian Kirk, Christian Kirk, whatever, whatever. Yeah. It don't really matter. <laughs> I, like, I, I, listen, I got the stats pulled up here. I mean, Arizona, with Colt McCoy leading the offense, had 435 yards in this game. Like, are you kidding me? Granted, I know Kyler's dealing with the issue with his calf or ankle, whatever it is. And then, like Kevin said, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is out. AJ Green was out. It was kind of like kind of set in stone that, yeah, you know what? This is probably a game that's not going to go in Arizona's favor just because, you know, when you're dealing with 
that many crucial injuries to the offensive side of the ball, just probably not going to work out. But Kevin, I mean, Colt McCoy might be the goat now. I mean, don't disrespect the man like that. This Mike dude White, came out, okay? Let's relax. I mean, Colt McCoy at least made it through the game today, unlike Mike White did against the Indianapolis oh, Colts the other day. So, but I thought Colt played oh, phenomenal. I thought Colt played uh, phenomenal. So, you know, to go along with that, I thought they got a good run production from James Conner. You know, it's kind of like what AJ said, you know, getting almost 100 yards rushing on the ground and getting two touchdowns. Not much more that you could really ask of him, you know, and that's going along with, you know, Chase Edmonds going out earlier in the game with an injury. So I think the one thing, though, when I look at this game in its totality is like, man, 49ers ever going to get it right? You know, granted, I know they, they've dealt with multiple injuries this year once again, like they did last year. But, man, this, this team could just never get it going. They just can't get anything consistent. They can't get any consistency as far as winning multiple games in a row. And this was despite the fact that I thought, you know, we actually had some pretty solid production from George Kittle, who's been out for a couple of weeks with an injury. I thought Brandon Ayuk had one of his better games this season. Debo Samuel even chipped in with a couple catches here and there. It's just defensively, giving up 31 points at home to Colt McCoy and that banged up Cardinals offense, it's unacceptable. And, you know, when you look at the 49ers, they're sitting at three and five. They're sitting at the basement of the NFC West at this point. You know, Seattle's not too far behind them. But, yeah, it's just you're kind of looking at the situation with Jimmy G. Is like, is he the guy? And for me, there's some doubt kind of creeping in with him now. You know, he didn't necessarily have the worst game today, but it's like he's not a game changer. He's not adding a dynamic element to this team as far as, He's the difference maker that is really taking this team somewhere. It's just not happening. So I know this is this is only coming a year or two off when they went to the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, but it's just I don't know. I'm really kind of worried about the 49ers moving forward. They don't look like a team that's moving in the right direction. But the Cardinals, yeah, they're legit. This is definitely one of the top two teams in the NFL as far as I'm concerned. And to do this type of performance with the injuries that they had against the 49ers, you got to give those boys respect. They played their hearts out today, and they definitely earned the win as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'm just kind of looking at this. Obviously, I'm just looking at the box score, which is just very basic. It doesn't really tell the integrity or like, the detailedness of the game, but I'm looking at one thing, and as, as I usually do, 11 total rushes. That's not going to get it done. Granted, they were down 14 nothing in the first quarter. After first quarter, that doesn't mean you don't keep the run alive. Elijah Mitchell has literally been on an absolute tear as of the last two to three weeks, and you gave him eight touches. In those eight touches, he averaged four and a half yards a carry. Why do you go away from the run? All of these NFL teams are just so pass-heavy, so obsessed. Everybody thinks that you can out-scheme people. Kyle Shanahan literally might arguably be one of the best offensive-minded coaches outside of Sean McVay and a handful of other people. And I feel like he said, you know what? Jimmy, fuck it. We're throwing it 40 times. I get it. A lot of times you have to because you go down by a certain amount. But you have three whole quarters to go after the first quarter. Obviously, there's only four quarters in the game. But you just abandon the run wholeheartedly and completely? I don't think that that's going to work. Jimmy couldn't stand up right today either. He, he was sacked five times. Like, 
bad offensive line play. They're not running the football. The defense can't stop a nosebleed. So on every side of the ball, it just looked like San Francisco could not get it going to save their life. Now, on the Arizona side, we've already pretty much covered every area. They were able to move the ball in the air. They were able to run the ball as a team for 163 yards, averaging over four yards per touch as well. So when you're hitting on all phases and you really find a way to go out there and sack the quarterback and disrupt whatever it is that they need to do, you're going to win. And even without J.J. Watt, even without all of the offensive players that were gone, Arizona went out and this was a statement game. And they said, you know what, San Francisco's not the greatest team, but they are still a very hard opponent because they're in the division. Let's go fuck them up really quick and show the league, even without our five best players, when you include J.J., we're going to do what we need to do. And to me, this game means more than most games that happened this week. All the upsets aside, I get it. It may not have been the most entertaining game, but when you have all of your backups in and all of your starters out, <laughs> that speaks volume to say, yo, we're going to do something here. This is a special season. And I think that this is going to definitely fuel the fire in the locker room to keep this going the rest of the year. Yeah, but to be honest with you, Kevin, they have to because the Rams are right behind them. So, I mean, you know, granted, <laughs> I mean, they did take that. They're going to win this game. They took the yeah, yeah, they got a field goal. That was it. God damn it! But you know, no. I mean, the Cardinals outside of the one game where they lost to the Packers last week. I mean, honestly, they probably should have won that game had they actually, you know, connected with AJ Green properly in the end zone. You know, they could they could honestly be sitting at a nine and zero record right now. That was yeah. a game that they, they yeah. probably should have won after after that. And yeah, yeah, was yeah. yeah. It just it was miscommunication. You know. AJ's thinking that he's blocking the corner, and I mean, literally, it, it bounces right <laughs> off of his, his his shoulder, and it goes right into should've the corner's hand. They like, should have cut him off. I, 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 like, I'll, I'll never forget. Like after the interception, he like turns around and he looks and is like, "What the hell just happened?" Did you hear like, AJ? Yeah, I talk about AJ. Like he's like, "No, did you hear him?" What they should have cut him after that. It just cost him a perfect season. <laughs> oh, not on the same page. Cut him. Go cut him back. <laughs> I mean, AJ's having a good year, though. Yeah, I mean, bro, I mean, you get some looks around the league. No, he is. He is. He is. <laughs> so, I mean, be careful now. You might get a bag in this offseason, you know. Get a, get a three. Never going to turn the bag down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it might be for Detroit, but still, yeah, a bag is it. a bag. You got to take the bag whenever now, you get now that you Now that you bring up Detroit, um, these 49ers give me Jared Goff Rams. Uh, vibes um, because because let me explain let me explain um, you know they have they have the offensive line in Kyle Shanahan like Sean McVay I think they're just missing that quarterback man and now they took a different approach than the Rams the Rams went out and got their guy they got Stafford and look at that offense like it's it looks like that's the best it, it's going to get um, mm-hmm. so you know, they're taking a different approach. They went with Trey Lance. Uh, we'll see if they're able to develop him. But I think Shanahan's just missing a quarterback. And J- Jimmy's not that guy like Kevin was talking about. J- Jimmy's just, he's not going to lead the league in touchdowns and passing yardage. Um, but something that uh, the Niners have always done well is run the ball well, no matter who's back there. Mm-hmm. And 11 attempts this game is, isn't going to cut it, like Kevin said. So it's, it's just with them. They just deal with so many injuries. I mean, Raheem Mostert's out for, yeah. I think, the rest of the season. 
Yeah, yeah. And they, they need to, they need to but, like that medical staff is what they need to do. Because, dude, none of their guys could stay healthy. It doesn't make and, sense. The thing is, like, here's the issue with Trey, though. You know, Trey obviously adds more of an athletic dynamic to that 49ers offense. And I do think that in the future, I think that's probably something that they probably want to go to because they could be a very fast tempo offense. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Trey Lance is going to be like Deshaun Watson as far as like his athletic ability goes, but like Trey Lance kind of gives me a very similar vibe to what Deshaun was kind of like when he was coming into his own in Houston. And, you know, granted, we have to see, you know, who's going to be the starting quarterback moving forward for the 49ers. I think at this point, though, you've seen Jimmy in the system so far, and he hasn't really produced for you that well outside of the one year that they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Chiefs. But that was a year where everybody was healthy and right. they ran the ball extremely well. Well, and the defense was scary. Exactly. Was it was a very good, it was a very well-rounded team, but I think I'm kind of leaning towards AJ here. I think that they need to start possibly looking at trying to get Trey some more plays just because I don't think Jimmy's going to be the guy moving forward. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think if the 49ers hear some sort of trade offers for Jimmy this year, I think they're seriously going to consider listening to them. I don't know if they're actually going to pull the trigger on them, but unless I see something from Jimmy moving forward for the rest of the season, I think as a coaching staff, you have to kind of start considering, it's like, is he going to be the guy? I think at this point, I just don't think that Jimmy has the consistency that that 49ers coaching staff wants, and maybe they give Trey some looks moving forward. You know, if this team really starts taking a dive, and I mean, they, they go on like a two, three, four game skid in the next couple of weeks or so. I mean, calls for Trey are going to be growing in San Francisco. So I can't rule that out. It's just that, you know, this 49ers team, you know, you're in probably the most competitive division in the entire league. You know, you got to deal with Seattle, and Seattle's always an issue. Granted, you know, Russell's dealing with that finger injury. But the Rams and the Cardinals are clearly head and shoulders above you. And I think you, you got to make a change. Just because I think this team needs a spark. And maybe Trey's the guy that you need to start considering over Jimmy. Just because I don't think Jimmy's really that big of a difference maker. Yeah. I mean, if, if we're on the topic... This will just be quick, just to kind of round this out. If we're on the topic of quarterback change, I've been saying this since the Super Bowl run. Jimmy, to me, has never seemed like the guy. Missing that throw to Emmanuel Sanders told me enough about Jimmy in a clean pocket in the most important game with the everything on the line. Complete separation. That is a, to me, high school slash freshman year level pass. Uh, uh, in football. I mean, you have no pressure, clean pocket, step right into it, whoop, and just let it go. Wasn't able to kind of hold the pressure. He wasn't necessarily able to make the big throws and big moments. But I can't sit here and say that the 49ers front office has not been making efforts to get a trade uh, a trade going for somebody. When Tom was in the market, they tried. When Aaron was rumored this offseason to be on the market, they tried. They drafted Trey Lance, and they've shocked Jimmy before in terms of trying to listen to offers. I mean, for God's sakes, they even tried to think about the uh, the Sean Watson move before the trade deadline happened. So it's not that they're not looking. They're just not ready to pull the trigger because each of those involve money for Tom, capital for Aaron, 
and a lot of fucking capital for Dan Deshaun Watson. He, they were asking for four or five picks plus players, if not more players. So I didn't think that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were willing to make those big moves because they felt that Jimmy could breathe. Jimmy could be at least a bridge until they were able to draft somebody, in which they did get Trey Lance. But I can't sit here and fault the front office for lack of effort because they have extended themselves to at least inquire about people on the market and people that could potentially be available. So they stuck with Jimmy. It's, they realized that the experiment has probably more than likely failed after this season. I believe his contract should be up not this year, but next year after they gave him the extension. Um, so, I mean, again, as we say in a lot of these instances in our segments, only time will tell because they're stuck right now. The trade deadline's passed. Trey's hurt for a couple more weeks. And San Francisco looks like they're out of the playoff hunt with how competitive the NFC is in general. So I, I think that this is a wash season for them realistically outside of getting some people some big reps. Yeah. But it's like I said, I just think that, you know, the Cardinals and the Rams are just head and shoulders above them. And when, when Russell comes back for Seattle, you know, Seattle's at least going to be in the mix. It's just that the 49ers really look like that team that just kind of looks completely out of it as far as being somewhat competitive in the NFC West. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that's just kind of how I see it. I mean, that's, that's exactly how it goes for, for, for me, and it's, it is what it is at this point. What are you going to do? You know, the, the, we're halfway through the season. It's Jimmy, and that's it. Unless Trey comes back in like three weeks, four weeks, or something like that. And they put him in just to get experience like they did like Jalen Hurts with Carson. That's all the option that they have at this point because the season's pretty much over unless they go on a magical turnaround, which we've seen teams do. It's the NFL. Nothing's impossible. But I don't think that it's possible with the roster and the way that the team is assembled right now. Well, even with a turnaround, that's a tough division to do it in. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, if it was like in the NFC East or maybe the NFC – like, oh, God, I can't even say – because – I mean, all those divisions, like they have like a team that's really good at the top, but right. it's like, you know, if they were in the NFC East, you know, granted Dallas would still be ahead of them, but since everybody else with the Giants, the Eagles and the Washington football team, they're all garbage, you know, the 49ers, I guess, could be somewhat in the mix, but it's, it's not even, yeah, it's just the 49ers are in a really bad spot. It's just yeah. like wherever you really kind of put them in any sort of division in the NFC. I don't think it really works out that well just because there's clearly one team in each division that's head and shoulders above them. And in the NFC West, it's two with the Cardinals and the Rams. So tough times, tough times in San Francisco. Dude, Tennessee just sacked Matt Stafford on third and six. It is 21 to six. They're going for it on fourth and 11. They might just try to draw it off. So the fourth quarter literally is about to start. It's 21-6. 21-6. Oh, God. Down yeah. bad. Upset Sunday continues. Yeah. But with that God said, damn, I hate Tennessee so much. Man, dude, the hatred just runs deep, deep for Tennessee, doesn't it, Kevin? I hate Frank right more right now. At least they won. At least they won this past week. Like the Jets should have won. <laughs> But with that said, we are going to transition into our honorable mention segment. So very similar to what we've done in the past. You know, each of us will go over a game that we think is worthy of mention from this week in football. So I'm going to kick it to you guys first. AJ, uh, what was the one game that you have as far as an honorable mention from week nine? 
tell you what, let's save mine for the end because uh, it's more of a homer pick. I don't think it's uh, uh, that important to the league. So kick it to Kevin. And Kevin, we'll, Kevin, uh, go, Kevin, go right ahead. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily think mine is any better when you really think about it outside of the fact that uh, I think the Giants against the Las Vegas Raiders. So obviously the Raiders are coming off of a rough week with the Henry Ruggs situation. Unfortunately, obviously we all know that situation of him being released. And now he's being charged with a bunch of, you know, criminal, whatever. I don't know the terms. But, again, Vegas has been dealing with a lot of stuff between Gruden and now Ruggs. So they've had to overcome a lot of off-the-field issues in which now the Giants were able to go and capitalize. And they went out and beat Vegas at home in, uh, in New York. Daniel Jones did not have the greatest game in the world in terms of totality of his statistics. He only had 110 total passing yards, but he did not turn the ball over, and he had a touchdown pass. The Giants won this game because their defense played spectacular and because they were able to run the ball consistently. Devontae Booker had 99 yards for 4.7 yards of carry. As a team, they had 149 yards. And once again, the defense was able to make it happen, and they were able to get to the quarterback of Derek Carr in which they forced Derek to throw two interceptions. And, of course, at that point, when you win the turnover battle and you have a great running attack, like we've said pretty much almost every single segment, it, it's been significant. And it just goes to show teams that run and teams that have good defense are the teams that win games. So I feel that Vegas had a lot going on. They weren't able to really get it going offensively. New York was able to really pressure Derek and make their life hell. And, again, keep – the time away from uh, Derek Carr in the offense. They were able to keep time of possession in totality away from Oakland, uh, Jesus Christ, Vegas. Vegas was in a position to really climb in the AFC West standings, and at this point now they sit at 5-3, and three, and so now they really have a climb to come out of this hole because, you know, now the Chiefs are 5-4, and four, the Broncos are 5-4, and four, and then, of course, everybody knows... Um, who the hell's the last team in the AFC West? Am I retarded? Am I slow? Did you mention Who's the Chargers? The... Ah, that's the one. And then the Chargers go out and they beat Philadelphia today. So this division is really, really tight, and Vegas was in charge. So this was their way to kind of create some separation. Alas, they did not. The Giants are 3-6, and six, and they just played upset. And again, the definition of the title of the game, upset Sunday, baby. I don't know if you guys can see. I hate you, but I'm yes. Yes, absolutely. I was like, "What's he doing back there?" And then I, I realized I, he you, was about you, to talk about. You no, know, you know which team I'm talking about. I granted, I don't have the newer jerseys. I'm not really that big of a fan of them, but I gotta rock the jersey just because it's my team. And they balled out today, not because you know Mac Jones lit them up, but that defense that the Patriots had against Carolina today. It was absolutely stifling from beginning to end. And I don't know what it is with this Patriots defense when they go up against Sam Darnold, but Sam Darnold is still seeing ghosts. And they have traveled from New York to Carolina just because this man had three interceptions against New England's defense today, two of which came in in the red zone. And then one of them was a pick six by J.C. Jackson. So all in all, this Patriots defense came to play today. They were able to stifle Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. He really couldn't get into any sort of rhythm whatsoever. Granted, this was his first game coming back from injury in a couple of weeks. But, you know, when you tie in the fact that 
the Patriots defense, they held Carolina to six points of offense. They held Carolina to only 240 yards of total offense. Sam Darnold was completely shook throughout most of the game. And when you stifle the run game, which is always dynamic with Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, I don't think there's really anything more that you could ask for from a defensive performance than what New England was able to bring to Carolina today. You know, granted, when I look at the Patriots offensively, I thought offensively it was a weak performance. You know, Mac Jones did not have his best game uh, throughout his rookie season so far in this one. Um, he was relatively inefficient. He had some inter- he had an interception. He also got strip sacked. You know, this was a game where they really couldn't get much offensively going. But in the key moments where they needed a drive from that offense, they were able to get it. I really thought one of the biggest drives that they had in the game was at the end of the second quarter. This is coming off of a Stephon Gilmore interception. And before the end of the first half, they were able to march down the field, score a touchdown with Hunter Henry with about 30 some odd seconds to go in the second quarter. And then it's like I said, the the defense was the main factor for New England winning this game today. And I mean, look, this New England defense, you know, when they hit their strides, this is a very good defense. I don't know if I would consider it like a top five defense in the league, but I think I could possibly look at this team as like a top 10 defense uh, when they're really on their A game here. Now, granted, they were playing against Carolina, not the most impressive team. You know, Carolina was coming into this game four and four. Same with New England in this one. But, you know, this is really kind of one of those performances when you look at this team. I think this is just what New England is going to be comprised of this year. It's going to be a ground and pound type of attack on the the run game with the offense. Mac is going to be relatively safe with his passes. And I think the defense is really going to have to lead the way here just because, you know, that offense with Mac Jones, they're still kind of going through growing pains just because he's still getting comfortable with what he's doing in the NFL in his first year. So all in all, though, I thought New England's defense came to play today. They had an outstanding performance against Carolina, and they're my honorable mention of week nine. So, AJ, I'll kick it to you from here on out. All right, so I'm going to talk about the two most important teams in the NFL. Obviously, the Dolphins and the Texans. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but I do want to talk about this Kansas City-Green Bay uh, game. Um, so, obviously, Aaron Rodgers was out this week uh, due to uh, testing positive for COVID. Uh, so, love was in the game. Um, and surprisingly, the Chiefs only won by six. 13-7. to seven. Now, and I think the Chiefs are in trouble. Um, I just watching the game, they, they, they're struggling on offense. Uh, 13 points. Granted, th- this Green Bay defense isn't atrocious, all right? They're, um, they have their games where they've played pretty well, um, but I don't think they're a feared defense by any means. Uh, so for, for the Chiefs to only put up 13 on the Aaron rodgers Packers was uh, – a bit surprising to me. Um, Mahomes only threw for 166 yards and one touchdown. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know what to think of the Chiefs right now. That defense is terrible. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, man. If they keep playing like this, I don't know if they make the playoffs. I don't know if the Chiefs make, if the Chiefs make the playoffs this year. Because uh, they, they've been... That they're getting a little more consistent on the ground, which is something that they lacked last year. Um, with uh, Clyde out, 
Uh, Darrell Williams has picked up the slack, and uh, he had 70, 70 yards rushing this game. Um, but they're just that offensive line is not protecting Patrick. He's having to get out of the pocket um, to force throws down the field, and it, it, there's only so much that talent can do. Um, I don't think football is one of those games where the best player always impacts the game um, in a way that forces his team to win. Um, it's usually the best team that wins. And right now the Chiefs are not usually the best team on the field. Yeah, it's just, when I look at the Chiefs, though, you know, here's the thing. By and large, I think defensive coordinators have finally figured out this team. And it really is pretty simple when you think about it. All of these defensive coordinators are doing, all right, we'll put two deep safeties back there. We'll put it back 30 yards if we need to. We'll give up everything underneath, and we can live with that. But we are not letting Patrick Mahomes beat us with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, McCole Hardman, or Demarcus Robinson 40, 50 yards behind us. Like, we're, we're not letting that happen anymore. And this is a situation where, honestly, I think a lot of the pressure is not on Patrick. It is actually on Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy to make these adjustments. Because this is really the issue that I see with them, is that they really haven't changed their offensive style based on the the defenses that they're playing because by and large, the last couple of years, they've absolutely feasted off of hitting the long ball, you know, 40, 50, 60 yard plays, these huge chunk plays that they've been known for the last couple of years. They are not coming as frequently as they used to in years past. So the one way that you can counter what the defense is presenting them is run the ball more. You know, granted their offensive line is shaky, but, you know, I do think that there are some opportunities for Daryl Williams and Derek Gore. Derek Gore's their third string back where they can make some plays happen. And I think, you know, they, they, they have to stop with these huge plays, these huge pass plays that take forever to develop because Patrick will step back, you know, five to seven, even possibly even 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage before he's actually throwing that ball to whoever, whether it's Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, or one of the wideouts. It's that he has to wait for those routes to actually manifest or actually develop. And I think this is a situation where, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't think Patrick's that good of a pocket passer because a lot of the plays where he's sitting in the pocket, he's actually really kind of behind. He's, he's like 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And it's kind of just like, okay, well, the pass rush is eventually going to get to me and I'm going to get it out in time. But it's because he has to sit and wait for those routes to develop. And I think this is where Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid, they need to shorten the routes. You know, the, instead of going for these 15 to 20 yard routes that take at least a couple seconds to develop, you know, start integrating some short and intermediate routes, some five to 10 yarders. You know, and you have some really athletic playmakers as far as the wide receivers go to be able to make that happen. You know, run some, you know, run some quick crossers over the middle. You know, try to get some pick plays and try to do something of that nature into Kansas City's offense. Just because I think by and large, I think defenses have figured out that, you know what, as long as we take the deep ball away from Patrick, he's not that good of a quarterback without that. And when it comes to these 10 to 15 yard passes, you know, I think that's something that Casey can actually really kind of focus on here because the defense is allowing them to actually get that. 
but they just haven't been able to get anything consistently. And I will say this, this is a year where I think we look back at it. I think Patrick's pocket presence, his pocket ability, or as far as his skills as a pocket passer, um, they need to improve. And granted, he, he's one of the best quarterbacks that the league has to offer. But I think this is a situation where he's got to improve his his pocket passing skills. Granted, the offensive line doesn't help because they're constantly getting pressure uh, from defensive linemen. But it's like AJ said, this offense is really tough to watch right now. And it's crazy to say that just because, you know, Casey could put up 25, 30 points at will like we've seen in years past. But this year, it's a grind. And until they're able to kind of get some consistency on the offensive side of the ball, they may be in a situation where they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. But I mean, they're only a half game out of first place at this point. So it's not like, you know, it's all doom and gloom in KC. You know, if they were like three and five right now, I'd be like, yeah, then it's kind of an issue. But, you know, they're sitting at five and four. And just a couple weeks ago, you know, they were under 500, but they've been able to pull off two games in a row. We'll see if they can continue their winning ways, but it's not coming easy for KC this year. Not like in years past. They're going to have to earn these wins this year. So it, it's going to be a, it, like, I, I wonder if this team is like, like stylistically is going to change from like that big high powered offense more into like a, like a gutty gritty type of offense. I don't know if that team is really built for that because they have a lot of speed guys and not a lot of like big you know, bruising like players on the offensive side of the ball to kind of make that style change. But yeah, I, I think the biggest issue here is that they need to make some adjustments with um, the play calls and just the overall routes that they run with the receivers because they're taking way too long to develop. And that's why I think the pressure is getting to Pat because by the time that those routes develop, he's already getting pressure and he's got to run out of the pocket to do something. So that's how I kind of see it with KC. So I'm going to go on a completely different side of this, and I'm going to touch on the Green Bay side. We've talked about this several times, and we talked about this today. Jordan Love ain't it. No. Jordan Love was never the good quarterback to make the decision. And I stand by what I said when it happened. That was a pick to get at Aaron. That was a pick to jumble, to, 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 to try to you know turn Aaron against them. And that was really, in my opinion, where this internal turmoil started with Aaron wanting to leave and, you know, have his way out of Green Bay because that was probably one of the most disrespectful draft picks I've probably ever seen because you're just going to go out there and act like Aaron Rodgers didn't just go out the season before, get you to the playoffs and compete for an MVP. So I've had about enough of this entire conversation about Jordan Love in the future. He's the bridge what he needs to learn under Aaron. We have seen a multitude of reports we have seen film from practice. He had a decent preseason this year, and everyone was like, this is the year that Jordan Love's going to come into this system and absolutely erupt. No. First career start, I don't care. Playing in a, in, in a playoff atmosphere away out of Green Bay, I don't care. You were a first-round draft pick. You had an entire week of preparation. You have been under Aaron Rodgers this entire season as well as last year, so you should know enough as to how to play this game at a better pace at a higher clip, at a better efficiency. And you continue to show everybody against that. You barely threw over 50% today. You averaged 5.6 yards per attempt. You threw the ball at Devontae Adams or in the vicinity of Devontae Adams 14 times and only completed six of them. 
And your leading receiver for the day was Randall Cobb with 50 yards. You're literally going to sit here and you're going to tell me that that pick made sense? You could have given Aaron another weapon on the defensive side so that he didn't have to have the ball as long as he did. Another receiver to compliment Devontae Adams. Another offensive line. Whatever. There's a multitude of positions in the NFL that Green Bay could have used more than a backup quarterback. Not that Aaron's in his prime. Not that Aaron is young. But he easily has another two, three years at minimum. I mean, for God's sakes, Tom Brady's fucking 44 and doing it at the clip he's doing. You think Aaron's not? So this pick has come back to bite them. I'm not saying it's going to affect the season as a whole. Oh, there goes Robert Woods. Uh, oh, first down. Okay, cool. More time for uh, Higby and uh, Cooper Cup. So, again, I'm just talking about this because it's embarrassing that Jordan was only able to put up seven against this Chiefs defense, knowing how bad they are, knowing that they're not in the greatest of places, and your defense was able to keep Patrick Mahomes to 13, and the best you could do was seven. I'm sorry, that pick sucked. I think that Jordan Love is an absolute bust, however you want to word it. I will make that a hot take. I can stick it. You guys can paste it on YouTube. You can come for me in the comments. Everybody in Green Bay should already know. He ain't it. Should have never been it. And Matt LaFleur is a dumbass for making that draft pick because that statement made you look like an idiot. Period. I'm going to slightly disagree, and here's why. Because, look, Aaron Rodgers is one of the top-tier quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't think anybody disputes that. But even with that said... Aaron Rodgers is not, is not above reproach. And granted, I know a lot of the issues that the team has faced as a whole are mostly on the defensive side of the ball. But when I look at that draft pick with Jordan Love, that was a check against Aaron Rodgers. And the reason why is, is because when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, I guess, leadership skills, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is looked at as like the best leader as far as like the best ones in the league goes, he is very critical of some of his teammates and he can kind of be condescending in a a certain manner when those situations arise where they're negative ones. And when I look at that draft pick of Jordan love, I don't think that was just like a replacement, excuse me, a replacement for Aaron Rodgers. That was like, Hey, I'm like, you can say whatever you want, but just because you could say whatever you want doesn't mean that, you know, you're above criticism. And guess what? You were just as expendable at a certain point like everybody else is. Now, granted, Aaron Rodgers is still playing great. But that was a check against Aaron. And you know what? It lit a fire under his ass because he went out and had an MVP season last year. So, you know, I think as far as making the Jordan Love pick, it motivated Aaron Rodgers to be a better version of himself. And he proved to be one of the best verses that we've seen throughout his entire career last year. Now, with that said, when I look at Aaron Rodgers, I have to be somewhat critical of the guy because Kevin, how big is Aaron Rodgers cap hit for the Packers? Like we as far as like speculation, we're, we're talking over $25 million. I'm talking about like, when it comes to like one player, I think he counts upwards of 15 to 20% of their overall cap. And when you look at other players, Specifically, like Tom Brady, and you reason you wonder why he has these the success that he has over Aaron Rodgers is because Tom Brady's cap hit is around five to six percent of the entire team's cap. Aaron Rodgers is at least three to four times higher than that. And guess what? 
it leaves a sizable impact on the team because you take away $10, $15 million from Aaron Rodgers, you could spread out that money to get a better defensive player. I, I mean, they were able to bring in Stephon Gilmore to the Patriots on $12 million a year because Tom Brady gave them, them, gave them flexibility in the last couple of years with New England to be able to make that type of move. Now, if Brady was making 40, 45 million, there's no way in hell they would have been able to make that move. But that's the difference, is that Aaron Rodgers wants to win his way, which is getting paid the most that he can make and still try to win a Super Bowl that way, which we haven't seen that yet since, what, 2010? That was the last time he actually won a Super Bowl. And Brady, since then, has won one, two, three. He's won four. Yeah, we got it. We got it. I'm not saying it as like, you know, I'm just saying that because I like Tom. But I'm saying it's a real factor that you have to keep in mind here. You know, Tom made a sacrifice to better the team around him. And I think he understood that better than probably anybody at the quarterback spot now currently does. I mean, 5% of your cap for the entire team with the Buccaneers, you go win a Super Bowl the first year that he's there. Aaron Rodgers is taking up probably three to four more times of that. And the team is lucky to make the NFC Championship game. Again, that's, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing on that front. I'm really not. What I'm what I'm just getting at is you you as a, as a as a head coach, you're just in the position. And yes, Aaron is taking the hit. Aaron is being difficult to a certain extent, but Aaron is winning football games. Aaron's mm-hmm. playing at a high efficient at a highly efficient level, and he's competing for MVPs and putting his teams in situations to win. Now, over the last few years, and why few, I mean, I want to say the last five or so, Aaron hasn't been winning because of his inability to score the football outside of this past postseason where he just could not get the offense down the field, even though Tom threw three picks. It has been the lack of the defensive side of the ball being able to stop the opposing team. I get so then you wonder why Aaron gets frustrated and then he gets upset and then he says, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to keep this money if they're not going to build anything around me. I'm assuming they were internal conversations. We are speculating based off of the fact that he has just been given money and not given any back. But as a front office, the issue, instead of a check move that is failing miserably, I guarantee you the drafting of Jordan Love had no on Aaron's ability to play because he's going to be like, oh, cool. Like, ah, you're sitting on the bench. Like, that doesn't light a fuck. Bro, Aaron Rodgers could throw seven interceptions in a game, and I do not think he gets benched. Oh, to, to the, I'm not putting in Jordan Love. I just don't care that much. And I don't think he's going to be able to win me a football game more than Aaron Rodgers would. So I genuinely disagree with that statement, and I think that a, a check move is a stupid decision. I think that that was an ill-advised, ill-timed um uh, drafting, and at the end of the day, Green Bay is going to reap what they sowed because Jordan Love is not going to be on this roster past the next two years unless Aaron Rodgers leaves or gets hurt. And even when he did get hurt, or you know, wasn't available, it, it was a stupid pick. What it's like, I said. Aaron, uh, also, Matt just got hurt and rolled his ankle. It didn't look serious, but they didn't capitalize on fourth down. But it's like I said, though, is that. Aaron Rodgers has to take some responsibility in that because he's taking a large percentage of the team's cap. And 
when it comes to when it comes to football, you have to understand that you, it's collective sacrifice. You know, you got to better the team around you to be the best version of that team possible. And when you're taking up that large of a percentage of the cap with one person, it kind of factors into why the team defensively has struggled because the amount of money that Aaron is taking in, granted it is well-deserved, and I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve that type of money, but it's a double-edged sword. You give Aaron Rodgers that type of money, and it's going to leave your overall team weaker because of it. Because... If Aaron Rodgers was making 25 million or 30 million compared to the 40 plus million, it would be a more they Green Bay would be in a more advantageous situation to actually get some better defensive players. But because Aaron doesn't make the sacrifice as far as his annual contract goes, doesn't matter. They're going to end up in the same situation. And what happened with the Rams? Rough in the past, just an atrocious call. Aaron Donald left his feet as Ryan Tannehill let the ball go. He's, he can't stop himself. He's in the air, and they call the rough in the passer play. These refs are atrocious. It doesn't matter. The Rams just don't look like they're going to be able to come back in this game anyway. It's like five or six minutes left. Yeah. It is what it is. So, upset Sunday will continue. And, Absolutely. oh, my God, the Rams have been penalized for 95-10. And they're the first yeah. team in the NFL in penalties per game at 3.9. So, this is, this is they're down bad. Yeah, McVay is heated. You know what, yeah. but, you, but you know who's not down bad is Tennessee, though. Yeah, I'm down bad. Okay, pain, nothing but pain. You guys had your, you guys had your chance, man. Hey, you, you, know, you know who's gonna feel pain? I feel like the damn. I don't even know. I can't even make a pick. I was trying to make a smart decision. Chicago and Pittsburgh. I can't because they're both so boring. Oh my God, Kyle! We have our Monday night prediction, and I almost completely forgot about it just because of how boring that matchup is. But I mean, we gotta talk. About it, so. Yeah, I mean. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, honestly, we could probably keep this pretty short. Um, we've got the Pittsburgh Steelers going into Chicago on uh, Monday Night Football. Um, both teams have been average to mediocre this year. Would that be a fair assessment for both teams at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know. I'll put it just, to you like this. Uh, the Bears are 32nd on offense, and the Steelers are 31st. I think Ryan Tannehill just died. Oh, my. I, re- I really think Ryan Tannehill just died. He just took a lick, and he got up. Oh, shit. What a tough bastard. Yo, no he just took a shot. No, no. Roughing the passer again? Oh, my God. This league is so st- What are they supposed to do? You should just say, I didn't mean it. Like, I don't get it. He was in the air. Well, he checked up above the neck. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe. It's close. It's It's close. close. I mean, but he was already leading as he let go. Whatever. It is what it is. Damn game. I hate it, but it's fine. Back to our barn burner. Back back, back to our barn burner. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to do much of an intro for this one. Like we said. Uh, the Steelers and the Bears, I think it's a pretty fair assessment that both teams have been mediocre, to say the least, this year. Uh, but the Steelers have been, I guess, kind of rounding a corner, so to speak. They've won their last couple games. Chicago's been up and down. I mean, Chicago got absolutely destroyed by Tampa a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, Chicago really isn't one of the best teams in the NFL. And they're in no way, shape, or form going to be competitive in the NFC North with the Green Bay Packers leading the way. So, AJ, to kick this to you, 
who do you have winning the Monday night matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Chicago Bears? Listen, the way the weekend is going, I'm going to take Chicago here. Um, honestly, this is going to be, in my opinion, a really low-scoring game. Um, and I know Pittsburgh is favorited, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if the score of this game was 7-3 to three or 6-3, to three, where just field goals are being kicked. Um, so with, with the way that this weekend has gone, I'm, I'm going to take the underdog. I'm going to take the upset from Chicago. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with it. I only pick in Pittsburgh for the sheer fact that that defense is still alive and well. T.J. Watt is still on this damn team, and obviously the rest of that, um, whatever's left of that offense in Pittsburgh is still alive. Chicago's inability to stop any form of offense, especially like Kyle said, two weeks ago with Tampa kind of just walking through the park with them. Um I think that this may be a little bit higher, maybe like 17 to 6 or something of that nature. I don't think Ben puts up too much. But I do think that the Steelers' defense can hold Justin Fields and God knows what else back there because, let's be frank, Allen Robinson getting franchise tag might be one of the worst criminal crimes I've ever seen in the NFL. He is not getting the ball. They locked He's my man. not getting that. And then, of course, David Montgomery has been on IR last month or so with a groin injury or a knee injury or both, for God's sake. I don't even fucking know. My fantasy team misses you. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really just looking at this and I'm saying I don't really think that Pittsburgh is going to lose this game because Chicago's bad on a lot of fronts. Listen, I want to be clear. Pittsburgh is the better team. But the week of I just think Chicago's going to win the game, man. I don't know. <laughs> Justin Fields going to have a career day according to AJ. 300 plus yards, maybe two scores. I didn't say all that. <laughs> I said six three Chicago. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just taking I'm taking Pittsburgh for the defense. Let's just put it that way. There you go. I know it's kind of crazy to think that the Steelers are on a three game winning streak. I know that's kind of like hard to believe. Yeah. So they beat the Broncos. They beat the Seahawks, and then they beat the Browns. And I I, I think they make it a fourth one. I think they get this uh they get this win. Um. Granted, I know Big Ben is on his last leg here. Um, doesn't look like he's gonna do much. Egg leg at this point. Uh, moving moving beyond this year. I mean, honestly, he probably should just retire after this year, just because the guy's been banged up once again this year. And you know, despite the fact that he's been dealing with some injuries, he's been playing okay. He's been playing decent in some of these games, but it's just too inconsistent as far as I'm concerned. But I think. When I look at the matchup of the Steelers going up against the Bears, I just think that the Steelers are a better overall team. And I just have more faith that Big Ben and that offense are going to be able to do more than what Chicago is going to be able to do. Justin Fields, um, I know there's been a lot of hype surrounded him since he got to Chicago. He was their big draft acquisition in last year's draft. And he's kind of shown himself to be a rookie. I mean, he's a rookie. He's shown that he is... Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He's been turnover prone since he's been getting the starting job. And I just don't know what really what to expect from Justin Fields. You know, I, I think his best football is not this year. It'll probably be next year. And like Kevin said, you know, that Steelers defense is pretty solid, you know, from top to bottom. You know, they're able to get a solid pass rush with TJ Watt. And I, I think he's going to be able to do some damage 
in that role. I think, you know, when I look at this game, he could potentially have one or two sacks against Justin because that offensive line that Chicago has is not that good. And they've been able to allow pressure from defensive lines pretty consistently throughout the entire year. And I think it's going to be more of the same. So when you combine all those factors together, I think the Steelers win this one pretty fairly. I want to say they win this one. Oh, God. I had to put a score on it. Maybe like 23 to 10. Just because I just don't think Justin and that offense are going to be able to produce much. Just because I think the Steelers have a really good defense. And I think they... I think they'll be able to match up well against Chicago in that regard. And I just don't think that Justin's going to be able to show me anything, um, anything positive as far as, you know, really getting this team into a competitive situation moving forward. And I just don't think it's in the cards for Chicago this week. I will say um, Justin looked like he played much better last week uh, when Nagy wasn't at the game. Um, Unfortunately, he will be at the game this week. Oh, uh, but but um, I like what I saw from Justin in terms of running the ball uh, last year. Uh, last year, last week against the Niners, he ran for 103 yards. And if he can do that, if he can get outside the pocket, extend plays, and become a threat with his legs, I, I'm telling you, I think they'll be in the game. So um, again, I understand Pittsburgh is the better team; they're the favorites. I wouldn't be shocked if they win the game, but. But the way this weekend is gone, I'm I'm gonna put my money on Chicago. Free Allen Robinson. Let's make that. Please. Time. Well, it's too late now. Listen, now they gotta they gotta wait listen, till next they, year. They now. cut Baker. Allen Robinson needs to be in that front office every Monday and say, "Listen here, yeah. I did not want to sign this tenure, but I'd be an idiot to leave fifteen or so million dollars yeah. on the table. I need y'all to get me the fuck out of here because dude, it's, it's, I'm looking at the bottom of his screen." He had three catches for 21 yards last week. As Kyle would do, three for 21. <laughs> Ew! <laughs> can, we, can we get this man some help, bro? It's like that shitty video on Twitter. I'm going to free you. I'm going to get you out of here. Like, dude, it is a mess. It is just bad in Chicago. And they're just down horrible. I really feel bad for Andy Dalton. The man came in and played one game and <laughs> lost it all. To a rookie that we all knew was eventually going to come in, right. but again, I laugh at the front office because they paid Andy ten million dollars. You paid you paid a quarterback ten million to sit on the bench. You already paid you're yeah. paying Nick Foles twenty three point nine to sit on the bench. So your bench is making more money than your starting lineup. I find that hysterical. The Bears need a new head coach. The Bears need a new GM. If we're being quite frank, because they cannot get it going. Aside from the Khalil Mack deal, they have not been able to make any noise, and not only free agency. But in their draft to really get anybody outside of maybe, who is that? Ronaldo McClain, the guy from Georgia, the linebacker from a few years back. But outside of those draft choices, I don't necessarily see Chicago as making any type of noise. And it just reflects. Justin Fields down bad, and I don't necessarily think that they're going to be able to do anything over the next few years. You know what's funny is that they're building a new stadium. And I think it's supposed to be like completed within like the next like like three to four years. Just think. All that money spent on a brand new stadium just to watch, at best, a mediocre team go 5-12, and 6-11 and 11 for the foreseeable future. Like, you really think that, like, Chicago is going to be a team that's going to be competitive? It's just like, you're wasting all that money spending on a new stadium, and 
pretty much is going to be the same result. Like, pretty much the fans are going to be pissed. And... But it'll be in a new stadium. So, I mean, you know, it'll get some oohs and ahs from the media as, as far as, like, ooh, like the... You know, it's like the new... It's the new shiny object as far as, like, st- stadiums go. But, uh, yeah. It's like Kevin said. Well, hey, you, you, know, you know what makes me laugh, though? Realistically, to think about it, look at all the teams that have gotten new stadiums in the last few years. The Chargers and the Rams got one. The Raiders got one. The Niners got one. And there's another team that got one. I think Atlanta got one a couple. Like, oh, uh, the, the Dome. Yeah, Atlanta. Yeah. Since they've gotten their new stadiums, their teams had a winning season over the last couple of years. The Rams have been good for the last few seasons. The Chargers are making a comeback and trying to, you know, make some noise to compete for a playoff spot. Atlanta went to the Super Bowl in the new state, like, you know, the year they got that stadium. You no, also they, well, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. They went to the Su- I don't think it was that the, year. No. Not, the one they got the Mercedes-Benz? No, yes, they did. No, the Patriots, was, the, they got- the Patriots played the Rams in that dome. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I didn't mean no, in the stadium. No, but the I year they got the, the stadium. The year they got the stadium. I'm talking like. Coincidentally, when they get a stadium, they do good that year. I don't think so. I think it came after. It came after. It came after. I I think it was the year after. But the point is, they got a stadium. They played better. (laughs) Not now, though. Not now. No, no. It only lasts so long. You know what I'm saying? It's like a little like, oh, we got a new stadium. Here's a good season. You know what I'm saying? Like, their inaugural year or whatever. Right. I just feel like it's a good one. I mean, Hold look, at, look, at, look at all these teams. Yeah. I will say, though, that I think Chicago found their quarterback. I think. I think with, Justin Fields no has the most of the quarterbacks they've had over the last five years, six years. I, I think I think Fields has the potential to be good. So. Yeah, I mean, it, really it, it, it was the year after. The following Chicago will be amazing in six years. <laughs> <laughs> They'll have one good, one good season. I, bro, they're, they're, I, they're down bad, so they can win oh, later. Oh, oh, bro, yeah. bro, it's like a billion and a half dollars to build that stadium, too. Oh yeah, it's crazy how much money they throw around in the NFL like that. Well, they're also in a big city like Chicago, so the market, you know, they definitely have investors. Do, do, yeah. do you guys know what it costs to build uh, that Mercedes-Benz Stadium? In Atlanta, just take a random guess. Two point three billion. AJ. Uh, one point five. Oh, you were close. You one point six. One point six. Uh, one point six. You look, got look another at, numbers guy. Ke- 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 we, we got a we got a, we got a numbers guy, man. <laughs> Kevin, you, hey man, I'm a math teacher. I'm a math teacher. I'm down, man. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, I mean, not only are the gray hairs showing, I mean, you're about to lose your numbers job to AJ over here, my guy. Like, you're in trouble. <laughs> these stadiums, these stadiums are ridiculous. Though. Dude, dude, like, so, like stuff so you st- don't need bro, for a football like, game, but it's so crazy. Like, what do you guys think of the um, the circular board, like up towards like the roof? Oh man, that's like that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrifying like. it's like a it's like a big ass ring i mean but it's like i just like it looks so crisp though like the the screens and like the boards like yeah it's, just, yeah, yeah. it's like it's you know because i know like dallas dallas doesn't have the circular one they just have the big ass board above mm-hmm. the stadium I'll never right. forget, like, there was a huge issue with that board because whenever, like, a, a team would punt it, like, the ball would hit the board. But, um, 
that was first of all that's risky (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's just like i think they may have gotten it right with this one with the circular thing because it's not really not really a factor when it comes to put them i i do think we need to get to a point where every nfl team has a stadium with a retractable roof (laughs) because weather is really annoying some of these games where it's coming down like there's a hurricane on the field. Like, San Francisco. like, yeah, like, like San Francisco the other, uh, but, couple but, it, ago. but, like, but, 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 Getting that, you That's know, fair. that game so, clinching touchdown. The offensive players have an advantage there, though. Like, it's hard to come down and and break down when you're trying to tackle somebody in the rain. But 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 so. it's like with like with me though. Like, I actually like the elements. Like, have you guys like did you guys play high school football? No, I'm a basketball so, player. So <laughs> so like I'll I'll never forget this. Like, I think it was like one of the last games that we had. It, it was my junior year in high school football and we were playing this prep team uh fr- from Hartford. It was maybe like 20 30 minutes away from where we lived. And in that game, dude, it poured all game. I mean literally the entire like like we had um white jerseys with green pants. Like literally like the, our white jerseys were like were literally like just mud by the end of the game like you like if anybody had any any white on their jersey after the game it's because they didn't play everybody's jersey looked like looked like just straight mud or dirt on their shirt but it's like it was fun though like you know the elements they obviously play a factor but it was like it it made it interesting you know because you know like we played on a turf field and most of the time like weather was really never an issue you know it, it would get cold and maybe it would rain every now and then, but like that one game in particular where, bro, we just tore up that field. It, thank God it wasn't our field because right. uh, we played on turf, but now, I know we, were like, you guys, well, uh, well, we did some damage to that field. Like th- they had were, to probably resod that field after that game. Were you guys the better team? Yeah, we won. We smoked them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Last game. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. You want me a quick shout out? You want any boys? No. No, it's like, we don't it's need just, to shout. It, we we don't need to shout it out. They know what happened. They know they got the one. Oh, okay, so okay. I'll never forget. I think it was the last game that I played in high school football. We put up a fifty piece. Oh my God, going out, going out like Giannis in the finals. Yeah, we my put up goodness. a fifty piece at, at home. Fifty piece at home. That was wow. We granted we, finished, we. I think we finished the season five and five. So I mean, we were literally just like a average run of the mill team, but bro, we could not miss that day. And honestly, that was probably that was probably the healthiest that I was the entire year, because I was dealing with um, what did I? Have? I had shin splints the entire season, and I, in one of the practices, about maybe like a quarter of the way through the season, um, we were doing this offensive line drill, and. I felt like like some pressure building up in my ankle. And then like after like one step I took, I just heard like this pop in my ankle. And um oh, it didn't it, it didn't hurt. Like it, it wasn't like an Achilles or anything like that. It just like it was a pop. So it's like I probably like pulled a tendon or something like that. But 
pretty much like for the rest of the season, like whenever I was on the field, like I had to like wrap my ankle, like a freaking cast because like, like a day or two after that happened, it just swelled up like crazy. So my, my, my whole, like, I think it was my, like my right ankle was like in a, basically like a tape boot. Like whenever I went out, whenever I went out on the field, but that's the thing though. It's like, you know, when it comes to these football games, like it is like a, it really is kind of like a war of attrition because, you know, everybody gets nicks and bruises. Like everybody by the end of the year, there's nobody that's a hundred percent healthy. Everybody has their nicks. Everybody has their dings. Um, it's just how you mitigate them as best as possible. So it's like we were saying earlier. It's like I don't know how San Francisco can kind of keep on going with the medical staff that they have because none of their guys yeah. can get back on the field. So yeah, but. So no, like, like uh, when it comes to injuries, yeah, it's just like that's just a part of the game. Yeah, so I know we're about to wrap up here soon. Uh, I just want to ask Kevin how he feels about uh, Tennessee beating the Bills, Kansas City, and now the Rams. <laughs> Kevin, you all right? How does that make you feel? You all right, I'm Kevin, fine. you good? <laughs> They're gonna move to seven and two after beating the Bills, Kansas City. And the Rams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're five. They're good team. And the and the Rams without Derrick Henry. That's, I, I, that's I, I mean, crazy. I mean, AJ, am I wrong to you know throw this question out? Are the Titans the best team in the AFC right now? The record kind of indicates it. I mean, they they've beaten the best teams in the AFC. <laughs> I mean, they beat the Chiefs. They beat the Bills. They beat the Colts twice. <laughs> they just beat the Rams, who are arguably one of the best teams in the NFC. I'm just saying. I don't think it's necessarily that they're, big of a step to say that. They're a top four team. No, they are a top four team. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm salty. And I'm going to remain salty. So, I got to let me live my life, okay? And, Kevin, like, they, like, they, they don't even have Derrick Henry. Like, Imagine if they actually had Derrick Henry. I think I don't know what the fuck the Titans have and don't have. I am aware of all of it, Kyle. I watch the same shit you do. God damn it, Matthew Stafford. What are you doing? Shit. To be fair, fair, they have Adrian Peterson now. Oh, my God. Yeah. He did score a touchdown. Uh, He's already producing. He's already producing. Like, look at that. Dude, that's over 100 yards in penalties. That's crazy. With 30 man. seconds left in the game, they're still committing penalties. That is just weak <laughs> discipline. I've had enough of your shit. I'm wrapping this up. It's 11:30. I want to go to bed. I don't. Have, I, I think I'm. At, I think I'm out of uh, old man jokes for Kevin. Unless I can think of one before we can wrap this up. I no, that's I'm... fine. We just got the notification of the AirPods dying. So. <sighs> yep. That's about, that's about it. That's about. It's about, it's about to wrap this up. So. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I really oh, yeah. appreciate being the first live guest. Uh, it was an honor. I'm so happy you were able to have a good time. I had a great time. AJ, did you have a good time? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wasn't talking to you, damn it. I, I, I just wanted to confirm it. Just, I, I'm asking our guest here. I'm, you know, I'm trying to be courteous to him. You know. <laughs> He's fine. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Time of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Sabo? I know Sabo's back there somewhere. Sabo's in the crate, so we don't hear all the jingling in the audio. I know he heard a bunch of uh, he heard a bunch of uh, depressing uh, from you. <laughs> yeah, he heard he heard a lot of different noises and sound effects tonight. That's for damn sure. 
But I mean, oh my God, that's a whole. Uh, so, I mean, guys, just to wrap this up, as always, thank you so much for the support. We have consistently been going up in total views, as I've said over the last couple of weeks or so. Um, the subscriber count, we're at 298 last I checked. It's absolutely incredible. We're two away from a goal that we set for the end of the year, which just, you know, anything after that is just, you know, kind of gravy on top of it. So I just, I look forward to the consistency that this channel is going to bring. And you still can't throw it to one of my two players. God, another flag. Hopefully it gets brought back. <laughs> throw it to the right person, Matthew. Don't make me come out there late and smack the shit out of you. So help me God. Um... Like I said, oh, no, the call of defense. Great, great, great. So you couldn't even do that right. Whatever. Um, yeah, but guys, the channel's just been growing. I mean, it's Kyle and I every day, we're, we're literally sending each other updates on whether it's a total video or it's a total number of uh, subscribers. It's, it's crazy to think that just a month and a half ago, we were literally struggling to get to 250. Um, obviously, content was consistent, but we didn't really have any specific video that really kind of took off for a long time. And whether or not the Ben video is carrying us in, in a lot of our numbers, it is bringing a lot of different people. So anybody that is new, welcome to the channel. Welcome to the family. We do appreciate any and all support from whatever platform. And then again, you know, to my friend and to my guest, our guest, uh, we really, really appreciate you for coming out here. I know that it was kind of a last minute on the spur of the thing, but it was able to be done. And I hope you had a good time. Absolutely, I did. You guys, you guys are doing a great thing, man. You, you bring good content to the table. A friendly environment, uh, very entertaining. Um, I, I listen on my way to work or on my way home. Um, so I, I really enjoy you guys, uh, what, what you guys are doing. No, I mean, I mean, there's not really much else I could say other than what Kevin said. And really just to, to kind of just shout out AJ for being able to come on and, you know, just providing great insight. And I mean, to be quite honest, you know, we've been always kind of trying to find um, guests to come on our podcast every now and then. And sometimes, you know, it's just a scheduling thing. You know, we can't be able to you just get the times right where we could be able to have a guest on. But no, like, you know, for me and, you know, just me personally, it's just, you know, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be able, not only be able to, you know, be on the podcast, but to actually be like live, like with Kevin, like right alongside you. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was really cool. And, you know, I mean, Hey bro, you beat a, you, you beat me. Um, to where Kevin and I can't even be in the same studio because, you know, I'm in Tampa and, and Kevin's down in Fort Myers. So we, I definitely uh, appreciate you kind of stepping in and uh, playing that part. So I, I definitely appreciate Absolutely. My that. pleasure. So, you know, with that said, you guys um, just appreciate you guys tuning in um, to the episode, whether you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate that. Uh, we will have another episode coming out later this week, so definitely stay tuned for that. And I do want to just wrap it up by saying this, is that the Titans currently have a three-game lead over the Indianapolis Colts in the AFC South. Uh, the Titans are probably the best team in the <laughs> AFC, and uh, I don't really think I could wrap it up Kevin any has other left way. Room. Yeah, I know. Like that was I was waiting for it. I'm just, I knew it was coming, so I had to wrap it on that note. But... With that said, you guys, um, shout out to the Titans, getting shit done, and uh, we will see you guys later this week. 
ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are. And live in a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast.